Hi, I'm David Clark, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of Glory Days of Gold, the East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall and I'm flying solo this week because my usual co-host Lee Gillis is off enjoying himself in a week's holiday with his lovely wife. Happy birthday Rachel, hope you had a wonderful time away the pair of you. But that means I'm left to my own devices this week and boy, do we have a fun show in store for you? We're going to be chatting with a man that is an absolute East Fife legend. A man who spent 19 years at East Fife. The all-time leading appearance record holder. Two stints as manager. Many seasons as a player. It can only be the one, the only, Davy Clark. And we're going to be bringing you that real soon. But before we go any further, I just want to give a Big thanks and a big shout out to this episode's sponsors, Hendry Ireland, John Scott Neal, James Smale and Tony Charletta. Thank you one and all and your continued support of the podcast is very much appreciated by Lee and myself. Hope you enjoy this episode. I think you will. We're not really going to have as much of a normal show as we usually do because Davy's interview is over two hours. But I do want to touch on a little bit of the the news of the week. And the big news from an East Five perspective was, we've got a new player, we've got a striker, and he's got a bit of height about him. Yes, Darren Young was busy in the transfer market, getting a deal done to bring Jack Hamilton on a season-long loan to Bayview from Livingston. The 20-year-old made his Livingston debut in July 2017, before spending the second half of that season going out on loan to Berwick Rangers in League 2, where he scored 8 goals and 16 appearances. He then went back to Livingston and featured in their League Cup campaign in July 2018, scoring his first goal in the Premiership in August against St Mirren, before eventually going back out on loan to Alloa in January 2019, and he spent last season on loan with Queen of the South, where he scored 4 goals and 22 appearances. Now he's a striker that's bringing with him a bit of height, he's 6 foot 1. Dan Young said on the East 5 website that we've been on the hunt for a striker for a while now, someone who's good in the air, has an eye for goal and Jack fits that bill perfectly. Despite only having just turned 20, Jack has already played over 80 first team matches across all levels in Scotland, so I'm sure he'll be a great addition to the squad. And I mean it's, it's true, I mean Hamilton, this will be him playing in all four divisions. Premiership down to League 2. Amazing for a guy that's only 20. 
just reading some of the chatter online about him, the general feeling is he he's definitely a, a good prospect and he'll really benefit by having some experience around him. I mean, you've got a guy like Danny Swanson that's going to be playing beside him. I think this is a fantastic move for Hamilton himself, but it's also a fantastic bit of business by Darren Young and East Fife. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he can do in an East Fife strip. We'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure, in next week's show when Lee's back. The other kind of big Scottish football news this week that might have an impact on, on East Fife, well, will have an impact on East Fife, is will fans be allowed back at Bayview when the, the season gets underway? Now, this weekend has seen a, a couple of test events take place in Scotland. 300 fans allowed at the Aberdeen Kilmarnock and Ross County Celtic matches on Saturday. I'm recording this just after those matches and it's it's looking like they went well. They went smoothly. I guess we won't know yet for for a little bit. Part of the conditions where fans weren't allowed to shout or sing and do stuff like that. So it does make it seem is it even worthwhile going if you, you can't be vocal and supporting your team. One thing that is for certain is the Scottish government announced on Thursday that football fans returning on September 14th has been postponed until at least October 5th. So we're not really sure yet what is happening with that. But fingers crossed things go off smoothly and we can uh, at least get season ticket holders into Bayview for when the season gets underway. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that and other news stories in next week's show. For now, though, it's time to bring you this week's feature interview. And as I said at the top of the show, it's with an absolute club legend. He's down in East Fife folklore as a manager, as a player. It can only be the one, the only, Davy Clark. So absolutely delighted now to say that we are joined by an absolute legend. Legend's a word that's thrown about a lot these days, but this man certainly is. He was at East Fife as both a player and a manager from 1968 to 1987, came back for a second stint at the the start of the millennium, and he's a man that holds, to this very day, and I don't think it's going to be beaten anytime soon, the record appearances for East Fife Football Club, he is Mr. East Fife. It's the one and only Davy Clark. Thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight, Davy. Thank you. Thank you. This has been one that's been screamed for since we've started doing this. We've been doing this for three months now, and constantly we were asked, Davy Clark, Davy Clark, Davy Clark. After every show, you can thank your daughter who, who got in touch with us, because I'll be honest with you, we'd have loved to have had you on earlier, but you're an elusive man. <laughs> Well, it's just the circumstances just now. Uh, my ex-wife, she died, uh, and uh, I'm quite busy in her in her ex-house. Excuse me, uh, and uh, I'm doing up quite a bit of work there, uh, so I'm not in where I, I stay. I'm not in where I live just now. Uh, I'm in well, it's Jennifer's house now, uh, and I'm doing it up for her as well as I can. No, I know you were an electrician by trade, so you, do you still do some of the sparky stuff? No, 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 no. I was an electrician, not really by choice. It was just 
I saw an advert in the in the uh, Edinburgh Evening News. Uh, William Allen Smith was the name of the company, and they were looking for apprentices, about 10 apprentices. Uh, and I just thought, well, I left school, I need to get a job. I'll go along there and see what I can do. So there was about 50, 50 boys at uh, the same age, uh, 16, uh, sitting on an exam, sort of thing. And uh, 10 of us got, got jobs. Uh, that was it. But I never, ever, ever, it wasn't natural to me. Uh, I always felt I wanted to be a football player. Yeah, well, let's get into your, your football career there. I mean, f- what is your earliest memories of, of playing football? And, and when did you know that you had what it took that you could be a pro? We had a place uh, where, I, where I stayed or, or lived in Edinburgh. Uh, it was tenements. We were the top top flat of a four-storey tenement. Um, and me and my brother, my older brother, John, uh, looked out and... It was the back greens, what you call the back greens. And if you imagine it's uh, all the flats, uh, <laughs> it's a rectangle. And in the middle of it was a an ash football park that was oval-shaped. And whenever anybody of the same sort of age group, um, uh, a, a ball appeared. That's all we had to do. Just one guy had to come down, one boy had to come down of the ball and then within five minutes doof, everybody was there and we were playing <laughs> uh, and we called it the longy because it was long uh, just about the full length uh, and where I stayed was 22 Caledonian Road just up from Haymarket uh, heading towards Gorgie where Hearts you know Tynecastle yeah. uh, and about halfway is Caledonian Road, and we stayed in number 22, top flat. So were you a Hearts fan growing up, or like who was your footballing hero? No, uh, I didn't support any club. I used to, I played for a school, and I played uh, for B, the, the BBs, the 47th Brigade, Boys Brigade. Uh, they were in the afternoon, and the school was in the morning, and... But no, if Hibs were at home, we'd go and see them. And if Hearts were at home, we'd go and see them if we, if we had the chance. But uh, I have to admit, um, we, were, we were absolutely crackers, football crazy. We just wanted to play. Uh, and the players that I played with, um, I knew that how desperate I loved the game and I wanted to be a player. Uh, and the guys I played with at my own age, and it sounds bum-headed and that's but I knew, I, I realised I needed to find something else because I wasn't getting stretched. You know, I wasn't getting tested. But I always felt I could do a little bit more. And uh, I started to play with my brother's pals and they were two, three years older than me. And <laughs> the difference was fantastic. Uh, faster, tougher, uh, things happened and you had to learn and be quick, otherwise it would kick you. And of course, swearing and all that sort of thing. Uh, 
you had to do the, the right thing at the right time. You had to learn quickly. Mm-hmm. And I never, I, I never ever forgot that. And uh, even, I'll keep on, keep on about that point. Uh, when we started the S-form signing at his faith, uh, signings at his faith, and I made sure that the boys, the young boys came in and when they trained with the first team and, and we played and a game at the end, of, you know, just to finish the training, everybody, we, we always finish with a game uh, on the park and I made sure that the S1 signings, they played in these games against the older players and I told the players uh, under no circumstances do you treat them as young boys, you treat them as full full players and you tackle them hard and you shout at them as much as you want and I told the boys as well what to expect from them because there was no no quarter asked. And I I know you came through the the Tynecastle Boys Club system and that's such a storied club like when I was growing up you saw players that were signed for all these teams so many of them came through Tynecastle but when did you first hear of East Fife's interest and were there other teams interested in you? What what made you end up at East Fife and at Bayview? Well, when I was 16, uh, my birthday, I was 16, uh, I remember crying in my bedroom uh, that I hadn't been signed by a club. I was so desperate to be a professional player. The team I played for, Jim Steele, went to Southampton, Bobby Ford, Rab Ford, signed for Dundee, there was another player, he was the best player of all. Uh, I can only remember his first name, Aby was his name. And he went down and played for uh, another top English team. I mean, these were three guys in a, a juvenile team. And it was a, another guy who hopefully we could talk about later on. Alec Ness was uh, the guy that ran the club and uh, ran that team. And I went back for him when I became the manager at East Fife. Uh, one of the first things I did was sack all the scouts uh, and I approached Alec and asked him if he would be uh, scouting an Edinburgh scout for me and he was the only scout I had the rest of it uh, Mike Marshall uh, was a school teacher so he had access to the the school boys uh, and Danny Hendry Mm -hmm. um, he was a a long time I don't know what you call them, but he, he, he worked for the, the the juvenile section in Fife. Uh, so he had vast experience with the juveniles. Uh, and that's what, that's what we did. So you joined East Fife in 1968. When, when you signed, you could never have imagined that you'd just be a one-club man and that you'd be there to 87, that you'd take over as a manager. It's... I mean, when, when you look back at that signing and just everything that happened since, and we'll go into a lot of it, could you ever have imagined that you would go down in, in like Bayview folklore the, the way that you did? Oh, no. No, no. I forgot to say that uh, at the time you were asking if anybody else was interested, Middlesbrough, uh, me and Rab Ford, uh, we went down uh, and had trials for, for Middlesbrough, and I think on the way back, once we had done it, uh, Rab signed for Dundee. And I'd said to myself, if anybody, anybody comes to me, I'm signing for them, no matter what. 
if they're a professional team and they want me to sign for them, I'll sign for them. So, okay, Jackie, the scout, forget his second name. He obviously can't give us a scout for his fife and uh, he had probably heard what was going on uh, with all the players in, in Tinkassel Boys Club uh, at that time. And uh, he knew that Middles were wanting me to go back down again for a, a, a final trial and they would make their minds up then after that. So uh, I was waiting on that. And uh, this Jackie, Jackie. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he must have got word of it uh, and organised for... He, he took me through and Jimmy Bonstrom was the manager uh, and obviously we talked together and uh, yeah, that was the start of it and um, I was quite happy and the club looked good um, I liked the, the the park, the slope Yeah, I, I really did like that and I thought that was, that was interesting uh, and I always thought the professional clubs, the parks would be flat and level but Old Bayview was beautiful <laughs> It was a w- wonderful like old stadium. I miss it so much. It was just... It's great. Fantastic. I only ever got one visit to the old Bayview. Um, yeah, Lee's but... a young whippersnapper. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah. don't let the poor hairline fool you. Um, <laughs> I started coming to, to, to Bayview like, literally not long after we opened the new stadium, but I remember my dad taking me down like the old steps that baby on his shoulders. You need to be the other way around now, I tell you that. But mm-hmm. I mean, if we're thinking about your, your time at East Five, so you were part of that 1970-71 promotion winning squad. So what's your memories of that season? Because the club had struggled the season before finishing 21 points off the playoff places. So what, what do you mean? What do you feel like clicked that season that maybe hadn't before? I'm not sure, to be honest. Pat, Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn. Oh, no. All the managers that I played under, he by far, by far the best. It was terrific. Uh, so enthusiastic. He used to have his talks to the team. And uh, Thursday night after training, he would get us all in the tea room and he would go through each player individually, uh, what he expected of them and how he wanted them to play and how he wanted us to play. Uh, but uh, no, he, was, he had a real passion for the one for the game, a wonderful player. Uh, and yeah, yeah, he was with, with, without a doubt, uh, I would say easily the best manager I, I played under. So uh, obviously you went on to manage down the line. Did you cherry pick parts of his man- management to think, right, that's how I want to be a manager then? No, no. Uh, he signed and kept the, the local boys. He signed a lot of local boys. And, and what he did do, and I always remember that, and he did two things that helped the team enormously. Uh, and he brought in Don McPhee and he brought in John Mattis and he moved me from a left back or a right back uh, and, and as a sweeper. Uh, and he brought in, it was either Peter, Peter McQuaid or Bobby Duncan. It was either, either one was there and then the other one came once he made these moves and 
just the two, just the two things, transformed the team, and he played himself, uh, and that was we got promotion. He thought it was too much for him after that, moving up into a higher league. Uh, he wouldn't be able to uh, cope with the pace because I, I used to travel by that. By this time, I was going with my wife or just winching her at the time, and I was living with uh, her family through in Glasgow. I left Edinburgh and moved in, moved in with uh, her and her family. Uh, and I used to travel back and forward in the same car as, as Pat. She came from Glasgow, uh, and we used to sit and talk and talk football all the time. So, what's your sort of memories then of of that promotion winning season? Because that's bound to be one of the highlights of your career. Uh, what we had was <laughs> the freak, Billy McPhee, an absolute freak, unbelievable player, uh, left footed, totally left footed. Couldn't he, just, his right leg was just for standing on. Uh, wasn't he brave? Wasn't he brave? Uh, I'm talking about. Uh, tackling people for the ball or anything like that. Uh, uh, but he could hit balls diagonally across from one side of the park to the other. Um, scored 35 yards out, for 35 yards out. Cannonball, Charlie Fleming. Yeah. Right, they are further back in time. Well, our time we had Billy McPhee uh, and this guy. <sighs> Penalty kicks. I can't, I, honestly, I, I don't know his record. Well, I, I couldn't imagine him missing a penalty. You see, hit them, you know, they're right in the top corners. Goalies never, never get them. Score for free kicks. Corner kicks coming in were always dangerous. He just had uh, a fantastic ability to hit a, 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 a footwatch to strike the ball. Uh, flew, you know, when he was very, very accurate. Uh, he brought Billy into the team, uh, uh, and he brought John, John Mattis, John. Uh, <laughs> uh, John was terrific. Um, I think he played once for Scotland, maybe twice, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but he played on a wonderful Motherwell team, probably about them. St John played Quinn and Mattis uh, and Willie Hunter, uh, all fantastic players. Uh, and some 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 guy had put all this piece this together, uh, and probably the best Motherwell team ever. Uh, anyway, we've got two of these players, Pat Quinn and John Maris, to come and play with us. Uh, and he added Bill McPhee, and Bill was just uh, when I say that he wasn't brave, he knew what he was good at, but he also knew what he didn't have, uh, and he really wouldn't, and he wouldn't do, he couldn't force him, uh, it was in his nature to do it, but he read the game well, and he was there, and the guy had to beat him, but Billy wouldn't close, close down, and he would keep his distance, uh, so the guy, so he's buying time for the rest of us to get organised and, and pick up who we had to pick up to stop the other team from being a threat. And although he wouldn't tackle and he wouldn't win the ball in there and a challenge came ahead, uh, far out what he could do, far outweighed what he couldn't do. Uh, and these wee, 
these wee things, that's one, two, three things. Uh, a new full bag coming in, uh, me going into sweeper, uh, uh, John coming in as a centre half, uh, and Billy coming in and just transformed the team. You played at some of the, the biggest stadiums in Scotland, be it Parkhead, Ibrox. Obviously, you've had some, some glamour friendlies in the Texaco Cup. Um, is there any matches from that era that, that really stand out for you in your memory? Every game. Every, the, what stands out is the quality. The quality of the games, the teams, they were much, much higher standard. Uh, um, but we were able to cope and we, we were able to, to compete. Uh, and everybody in the team, there was anybody that didn't have some something to to help and it was just terrific every game was tense every game was a battle a fight uh, no quarter asked just a fast speedy and you were punished if you made a mistake normally uh, was i mean billy was a good player john was a good player bobby duncan was a good player uh, moving me to the fullback to sweeper was the making of me. Uh, that's where it's, uh, I was a fast uh, as a as a player, and um, but my football brain was quick. I could see things, and I'm just I'm just telling you the truth. My, my strength was being able to read what was happening uh, on the park and get get the rest of the players organised. So it made it difficult for opposition to get through to us. So if you think about the, the footballers that were kicking about in that sort of year, being like George Best, Marsh, um, sorry, Marsh, Bowles, sort of wild characters off the pitch. Was it the same at Bayview where there were wild nights out? Was there, who, like, who were the sort of big characters in the dressing room? There wasn't anybody that was uh, really strong. Alec Ray uh, came and uh, after he had, he had been with the club and he got transferred down to Bury. Then I think he went to Partick Thistle, uh, and then he came back to his wife. Uh, Pat had asked me what what he thought, uh, what I thought of of Alec, and I said to him, oh, I said he was terrific for us. Uh, he was about the best player in the team." Um, so Pat bought him, and uh, it didn't work out between the two of them. So no. That time. As well, the the club, they had three seasons in the what was the first division because it was only the two divisions at that time. That was the last time we've ever been in the top flight. So forty six seasons have passed since then, and we weren't in the top flight. The team got relegated in the seventy three seventy four season, and then it was kind of a bit downhill for a spell after that. What do you think went wrong? Was it just that the good players had moved on or is just the investment not there to to have us as one of the top teams in Scotland? When Pat Quinn left, didn't have the same quality of manager. Hmm. Yeah, because we had Frank Christie, didn't we, for a spell? Mm-hmm. And then... Bill Baxter. Roy Barry, because you took over from Roy Barry. Yeah, Bill Baxter. Yeah. With Chairman's brother. Yeah. Baxter's brother. 
Well, we'll ask you a little bit about Jim later on because I I had a few interactions with Jim over the the years. But well, Roy Barry was the manager. Then you took over from him in nineteen seventy eight, I think it was that that you you kind of became manager. You were only twenty seven at the time. How did that come about? I mean, had did you have thoughts about getting into management? You'd been kind of mentioned after Frank Christie had left, but how did all that play out? How did that come about? I was 24 when I first applied. Uh, ah. And uh, I got a letter back saying, too young, just concentrate what you're doing just now uh, and we'll think about something in the future. Possibly, possibly think about something in the future. Uh, but we're glad that you made yourself, you know, known to us that that's what you want to do. And we played, um, who was it? Clyde Bank, at Clyde Bank. And I always remember at halftime, uh, Big Harry, Harry Kinnear and Drew Rutherford uh, were coming off at halftime and we were getting close. And they two were arguing with, with each other. And I'd had enough of the two of them. And uh, as we got to the bit where we're all got in. You know, he went into the the ground and uh, into the dressing rooms. Uh, just you had to go past where the directors were in the in the, the wee stadium at yeah. Claybank, and uh, he was sitting right next to where the opening was for the players to go up. And I'd got a hold of the two of them and let them have it, just to get themselves sorted out and stop arguing. Uh, and just. Cursing and swearing at them and everything like that, and just grabbed a hold of them uh, and told them to get in and shut up and get on with the game and turn, turn it around. But it was the way I said it and what I said, uh, that's not exactly what I said. It's the way I said it and, and, you know, so, and I just turned and my eyes caught Jim's eyes and his face was a look of amazement, you know, and, uh, but I was the captain of the team at the time, yeah. and I had to do something. Anyway, so I think that helped. Uh, it must have stuck in his mind, and it certainly stuck in my mind, because just the same as yourselves, uh, how do you become a manager? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was such a young age to become a manager, really. Cause... But I think he, uh, he had had enough. He had put money in with uh, Pat. Would part at the end, and uh, it didn't work out. I think he said it was fifteen thousand pound that he had uh, given Pat uh, to spend on players, uh, and didn't work out for him. And he said, "That's me. I learned my lesson." He said, "I'll never give another manager uh, money to spend." So when he mm. he appointed me, I'm sure he didn't discuss it with the the board of directors. I think he just because uh, he phoned me up and asked me to come and see him. Uh, down at Bayview and uh, I went down and that's when they offered, offered me the job and I said yeah I would do it uh, but he needed if you're not going to give me money because the team was going down uh, if you're not going to give me money you have to let me buy time I'm going to buy something I want time you have to back me up all the way everything I do all the time be with me because this is going to take a long time because the managers that 
after Pat Quinn. I don't like saying it, but I'm telling you the truth. Uh, the players, the players they brought in, uh, players wouldn't play for them, uh, you know, and it just their judgment of players wasn't good either. Uh, that's things turned out. Yeah. I mean, did you find it an easy transition then? Because one minute, you, I know you were c- club captain, but you're like one of the guys in the in the dressing room, and then you've suddenly got to become their boss. I mean, how did you find that? Well, that didn't didn't bother me. Uh, I was quite quite happy with that. Um, no, what bothered me was uh, taking the training and having to keep myself fit at the same time mm. uh, and be you know <laughs> be taking the training. Uh, and doing the training at the same time, no, it couldn't be done. And uh, I had to get somebody in uh, to do the training because I was 27, 28, and I still wanted to play. So player manager, that, that title, uh, uh, for want of the title. Uh, and I got in, well, Jim said that he knew somebody that as a coach for a, a, a club, uh, a juvenile club or a, a junior club, whatever it was, and uh, uh, he said, "I'd like you to give him a, a chance." So I'd, I said, "Yeah, okay," and got in this guy, but he lasted about a month, and he knew he was out his depth, and I could see the reaction of the players when we were doing our training uh, that he was uh, up to it. So he said it himself, and I didn't say it to him, uh, and he went away. But eventually, um, things turned out. Uh, once I asked Mike, Mike Marshall, uh, to come and got him in, uh, and George, George Stewart, uh, he was first team coach, and Mike was a reserve team coach, uh, and that was a much more professional. Uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah. You, you were certainly given time. And, I mean, hearing you mentioning that Jim didn't want to put more money in the team, that explains quite a lot of things because I know the club went really young. There was a lot of youth signings you introduced, as you said, like the, the whole S-Clubs thing. But then, but like there were some good games. I know a lot of folk remember the Wraith Rovers Cup tie in 82-83. But the 83-84 season, that was my first season watching the club. And I just remember that running from the turn of the year the, the running, there was the, the cup games with Hebs and Celtic, and we'll come to that in a little bit, but just that running that you had, you went on such a big and beaten run. What was it about that team that just suddenly clicked and, and just got playing such wonderful football? I moved Gordon Jury from midfield to centre-forward. Uh, I wanted to protect him because he was so young. He was 16. And... Mm. Uh, um, I'd seen him play for his juvenile team wide left of the midfield, midfield four. Uh, and I thought that was his position. Uh, so um, when he was playing in games, reserve games and bounce games, he was always in the midfield. Uh, and I didn't want him really uh, to come into the the, the senior side uh, and play up front uh, and get hacked to pieces. Uh, so I'd said I'll give him this season inside my head uh, I thought it'd be best for him so he can take his t- a little he gets a little bit of time before he gets thrown in at the deep end uh, but 
I'll tell you the, uh, the truth uh, with this one. Uh, me and Mike, we'd finished training on a Thursday night and we were coming out the office and John Fleming, big jock, mm-hmm. and director, uh, was waiting on us and he said, I need to talk to you. And uh, he just let go. He said, you're never going to get promotion. You're never going to win games. You're never. You've had long enough. You need to get a winning team. And he said, you'll never do it with what you're doing just now. He said, can you see anything? He said, you've been with a club all these years. Uh, and just listen to him, let him, let him say what he was saying. Uh, and I knew he was right because I was struggling. Uh, everything seemed to uh, be difficult. Uh, we're trying, the whole thing was a big, huge jigsaw puzzle. Uh, broken, a broken jigsaw puzzle. And we're trying to fix this, but there was something else happening here. There's something else needed to be done there. Something else here. I could go through, but I would, millions of things. Uh, but that's, and that's why I'd said to the chairman, need to buy me time because I need you to believe in me uh, and the rest of them might not believe me and uh, believe in me uh, so you need to f- keep them off uh, and this was Chuck coming down to you know, and <laughs> uh, but he was a lovely guy I mean I, I, I listened and to be perfectly honest as well all the directors that were there and I mean they backed me to being the manager uh, and it's terrible to say this about them, but the one that I would really listen to was Chuck. I thought knew most. He knew most about about the game and how the game should be played and uh, players and teams and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I knew then that I had to do something. I just said, I'm putting Gordon centre forward. I mean, it certainly worked out. I just remember him banging the, the goals and I think he got a hat-trick or something in the second-last game of the season and, and stuff like that. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in Glenrothes and we didn't have a car, so I went and watched Glenrothes Juniors because I, I could walk to the game because my mum didn't want me going to Scary Methyl from Glenrothes on the bus. But then it was the Hibs game. It was nil-nil at Easter Road. It was on sports scene that night. And for me, seeing East Fife on the telly that night, I was like, oh my God, I've got to go to the replay of this. So my mum talked somebody at work to get a ticket for me and him, and he took me to the game. And then for better or worse, that was me. I was an East Fife fan after that, up through highs and lows, mainly lows. But that that game, I mean, 2-0 win over Hibs, second division team, beating a premier team. So, I mean, that's when there was the three divisions, and we were in the bottom division. I still, like, just thinking about that game and the atmosphere that night, I'm getting, like, goosebumps just thinking about it. What what was that match like as a manager for, for you? Because it, it's still one of the most special games. I'll always talk about that game. I thought we had a a real chance of, of beating them. Uh, uh, the team was starting to take shape. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we... Tom McCafferty. Yeah. Yeah, he had come into the team. Pibs, they were, I think Pat Stanton got a sack after that game. 
I wouldn't be surprised because it's like you dominated them. That's my memory of it. It's like it was a dominant performance. It did not look like a premier team against a second division team. It was like incredible. I remember, I can still picture McCafferty's goal. It's just, it's that fresh in my head. So, mm-hmm. wish there yeah. was video of it. Well, Tom was a terrific player. Big uh, Stevie, Stevie Kirk. Yeah. He- Terrific player. We had good players playing. Gordon Marshall was in goals. Uh, uh, the team was starting to take shape, and uh, uh, yeah, we, we had a grip of the game. And uh, midfield won the battle in midfield, and uh, we scored two goals, two good goals. Uh, and at no time, no time. Uh, I think I played right back in that game. Uh, uh, no time did I. Was a feel any feeling of pressure, uh, or some something's going to go wrong? Uh, I think the the team grew up mm. after that game uh, and started to believe in themselves and just what they could do. Uh, but no, it felt oh fine could have been a turning point then. Yeah, and um, <laughs> David Hay. Played in a game at Park, uh, not played in a game, and uh, managed Falkirk against uh, Celtic at Parkhead. And we won and we stayed up in the in the, in the Premier yeah. League. Uh, but he got the sack after the game. Mm. That's what your teams do to folk. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> not, not <laughs> We'll, we'll talk to you a bit about a, a player that you mentioned there, Gordon Jury. So he'd been at the club since '81, and he really came into his own that season. So mm-hmm. how how did the club discover him? And did you know, sort of know from the first time you watched him that he had something special that he would make it right to the top? Yeah, he's the best player I've ever played with, managed, coached, anything. Fantastic player. Uh, it was Mike. Mike saw him in a, a school game and uh, he came to me and he said, what do you think about uh, S-Forms uh, singing Young Boys? And uh, I looked at him and I said, wow, wow, we've already been here about three years, whatever it is. I said, you think we're going to get another four years? Because if you sign a player at 13, you're looking for him at the earliest to get in at 17. That's four years. Do you think we'll last that long uh, and get the benefit of them? And he said, I don't know, he says, but I asked um, Roy, Roy Barry, uh, about about the S-forms, about schoolboys. And he said, no, no way. He said, if he didn't get promotion um, inside two years, he says, they'll give me the sack. He said, uh, so not, he wasn't bothered. But I thought about it and I thought, why not? This is a club I play for. This is a club I've been with all my time. If uh, I do get the sack, but we do sign one or two or two or three, however uh, however many, uh, and they're good players, well, the club's going to get them because how else are we going to get really, really good players? Dundee United did the big thing. The, the, they started it with S Forms and Jim McLean uh, ran a tight ship there, and uh, he was into uh, 
how can I tell you what I think of that guy? Horror. Uh, he had about, I, I think it was about 30 that, it's, that, that a club could have of S-form signings in any one season. He would have 30 signed, but he'd have another 30 signed that didn't register them. He had them in the drawer. So he had about 60 players. Year in, year out, year in, year out. A choice of 60 players for Dundee United because he had organised. He was the first to get in to the, to the young ones, the kids, uh, and to look at that angle of how to improve your, your playing staff. But he did that. And imagine that. The mums, the dads, the aunties, the uncles, the granddads, the grannies all think their boys signed and registered with SFA uh, as a, as a chance of being a professional football player. And at least 30, and the other 30 as well, because he would pick the best 30 and register them. And the ones that, well, they might might do, but nobody else is getting them. I'm keeping right. them to myself. Oh, I, and, but nobody else would know that, but came out later on in time. Uh, and uh, had these 30. So, and some of these players would be distracted by that, thinking, oh, I'm going to be a, a professional football player. And everybody at Dundee United at that time, because they're a really strong team, and a really strong team was nearly, was or was nearly uh, an international class player. So that was the standard they had to get these, sign these guys. And you just, just if they weren't going to make it, just discarding them like a piece of paper in the bucket. So to me, I'll say it to you, I thought the man was scum. Absolute scum. That's definitely not the way that you, you want to treat kids that are, are trying to get into no. the game. Definitely. Also as well, like at that time, Dundee United were such a big team. If everyone would think, oh, this is my chance to, to be in the best team in Scotland at that point. That's shocking. And, and uh, if the guys get distracted with thinking that they're going to be football players, they're not going to put the, the, the same amount of work in as they're schooling. Possible university. No bother about university. I want to be a football player. So as a manager of uh, somebody with a talent of Gordon Jury then, how do you think, right, I need to keep his feet on the ground so that he's not going to go off and, and not focus on his studies, but equally know that he's got the talent to go as far as he wants. So how, how did you manage a player like Gordon in that sort of situation? I would say that Gordon is the best player I've ever seen at Bayview. We didn't have to do much because his control was instant. He could do things with the ball that other players couldn't do. Physically, he was powerful, good building him, could look after himself. He transformed the team. Single-handed. I remember Graham Hutt chasing the ball uh, up at our growth and just getting to it, catching it and squaring it across the face of the goals and Gordon being there and pushing it into the net. One, Graham shouldn't have chased for the ball because he didn't, didn't look as if he had a chance of catching it. But him and the way he played, uh, he got to it just on the line and caught it and then looked up and squared it across and Gordon for Gordon to be there as well. Uh, I mean, the top of the players, 
chasing something from the halfway line flat out uh, late on in the game. Uh, it could, but Gordon, we played Hamilton at Hamilton and he took Hamilton on himself. And there was a, a heart scout ex-manager, I think, uh, watching the game. And uh, I, I met him about a month later and I said, why did you not go for Gordon? And uh, he said, oh, he said, he said, it just looks heavy. Uh, and I wasn't pleased the way he was moving. And I couldn't believe what he said. Gordon was just terrific. Uh, anyway, uh, how, how, how we got him? His team, Hillaby Swifts, um, they were playing uh, a final, a Scottish Cup final uh, for the juveniles, under-14s, under-15s. Had to be under 14s, and uh, it was at Dunfermline. And uh, me and Mike went along to, to watch him. And uh, I hadn't seen him before. And Mike said, This I've got, if you want to do it, I've, I've seen this boy, uh, and you need to have a look at him. And I said, Okay, so went to the game and watching it. And um, could one 10 minutes, it was it was outstanding. Uh, and I remember the Dunfermline manager uh, was sitting next to me at the game watching it and I kept on talking to him and talking to him every time Gordon was going to get the ball just so he would look at me and <laughs> look at Gordon. Uh, <laughs> and so I uh, did that and when we're coming down and out of the ground, Mike said, there's Gordon's dad there. And I said, where? And he said, there, that's him. So I went right over to him and I said to him, uh, I'm interested in signing uh, your boy. Um, can I set something up so to, to see and speak to the family and to speak to Gordon and to speak to your, yourself? Uh, and he said, okay, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I said, how about tomorrow? Uh, and I got his address. I got him to write down his address. And I said, right, um, I'll be at your house tomorrow. Uh, about half past six, and he said, "Okay, that's fine." Uh, so, Inverkeeran couldn't come quick enough, and and I felt sure somebody else had been watching. I had to watch the game where it'd been a, a, a final, uh, the, the juvenile Scottish Cup, and uh, uh, so knocked on the door and uh, felt sure I'd be, t- uh, be told, oh, "You're too late. Somebody else has signed them." So. Uh, I got invited in and sat down and just went through everything uh, that we had to offer. Uh, I mean, we're a, uh, a club, part-time club, which means that uh, if he comes in you know, and uh, he'll train with the first team, he'll train with uh, uh, the first team. Uh, we're playing the games that the first team playing when we're training. Uh, and if he's good enough, he'll get in the team early, uh, if he's as good as what we expect him to be, uh, he'll certainly get into the team. Uh, uh, but it's a big responsibility uh, for himself as well. He's got to strive and, and work and uh, and want to do it uh, and uh, everything. But the, and the financial side of it, uh, we'll take care of all his uh, kit, uh, his boots, uh, bags, anything he needed, 
uh, would would do that for the for the S one, and not just for Gordon, but for for them all, all the S one signings, uh, and the mums and dads could come down any time, uh, and they'd get shown around the the boardroom, and then uh, and then we the enclosed space at Bayview. Yeah, the glass thing. <laughs> the director's box. Yeah, they would they could sit in, uh, in the director's box and and watch the the games and watch that 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 boy. And they would get, if there was any future transfer fee, uh, I've got the board to agree to this, uh, the player would get 20% from the selling club, i.e. East Fife, uh, uh, tax-free. So oh, nice. Because mm-hmm. in these days, uh, I don't know if it still is, uh, the buying club settled up with a player mm. in a transfer. Uh, it was unheard of for a... a the, the selling club to to give the player money, uh, so and <laughs> when Jim Jim Baxter uh, well, first heard him of what I proposed, because uh, uh, I can remember what we were part time and uh, fighting against Dundee United uh, and Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen. Uh, they're the guys that do this. We and we're coming in to try and compete with them. Uh, we'll have to give the player. I said. What's better, eighty percent of something or a hundred percent of nothing? We don't offer them anything. We don't get them, and somebody else. And once he's uh, thirteen just now, once he's uh, fifteen, sixteen, the big guns, the wolves, they'll come in sniffing about, and they'll turn the guy's head, and they'll go and sign for them. See, this will be the bit that uh, does it for us. We'll be different for anybody else. Eighty percent is something. Or a hundred percent in nothing. You choose. And he looked at me, <laughs> chairman, Jim, and uh, said, oh, "Go, go ahead, go ahead." But, but when it all happened, when he was going to hips, uh, getting transferred, he wasn't going to get his twenty percent. Oh, really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't. Uh, the mistake I made. Uh, at that point, when I didn't get things done in writing, it was just word of mouth and trust. Uh, I trusted that they would do it, uh, and it was just in time that somebody told me uh, that he wasn't getting his twenty percent. So I went right down to the to the family, and uh, I think his mum and dad had split up at that time. And I got the mum to get his dad back and, and be there for me when, when I arrived. And I got him and just said, you have to be the man. You have to go across the Easter Road. He was to go to Hibs for a trial for a week, right? And, uh, and he had to do that. And that bought time for this to work out, uh, what I proposed. I said, you have to go over and be over at Easter Road and tell them he's not saying for anybody. And you stand there, go in, and they'll all be at you. It was John Blackley was the manager, and the chairman, uh, Hibs will come down as well, and they'll all use their weight, their authority, everything to tell you. Right? And nobody gets that, whatever. And so you've got to be standing there and say, just leave him, man. Don't take him. Don't sign him. He'll go back to where he's came from, and he'll play for his wife again. What's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is he goes back and plays for his life, right? And nobody gets anything done. 
So, uh, but also said to his dad, you can't tell anybody that I've told you to do this. You have to keep it quiet. Uh, uh, because then, I said, if the directors or anybody else finds out, I'll just get the job. Mm. I said, I didn't want that to happen. I quite like what I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened. He just stood there, bump, 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 and just said, and he was big guy, tall guy, nice guy, uh, but he, uh, he knew what he had to do, and he saw it through, and he, he said to me, <laughs> uh, they all came at me. And it was here, here. Every, every, somebody's saying this, somebody's saying that. And he just said, whoa, whoa. He goes nowhere. I'll take him back. And then they all go, sorry. So, anyway, that's what happened, yeah. Uh, did, so Gordon, did, did Gordon get his money in the end? Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, he got money. Um, I'm not sure if he got the full amount. I think it was £8,000 that he he should have got. What he got, I don't know. I didn't ask. Uh, But he did get money. Uh, That's good. So after that, um, I got everything in writing. So whenever we sign an S form again, it was there. And I said to Jim uh, that uh, I'm going to these houses myself, speaking to these families, uh, and I'm representing one I'm representing me, I'm representing my family, and I'm representing you, and I'm representing your family, namely his wife. I'm giving my word that this is going to happen. I fully expect you to back me. Uh, because he came, Jim had came on uh, and phoned me, and I knew what was going on uh, without him knowing that I knew. And then he phoned me, and uh, he said, Somebody's been on to his dad. His dad's mental. His, dad, his dad's crazy. <laughs> and I could just imagine what was going on. And he, he did it. He did it. His dad did it for him. And I was really proud of his dad for that. That's and great. After that, after that, no problems. Everything. David Kirkwood, Paul mm-hmm. Hunter, four or five of them. In addition to the, to the talent. And what happened as well. The players themselves, Gavin Murray, Brian Jenkins, uh, Graham Hutt, and all that, they saw the quality. It was like uh, a lesser extent, but like the likes of um, when Aberdeen or Celtic or Rangers, they sign a top player and the guy comes in and all the rest of the players can, can see what's going on that the real quality has come and added to the team and wow a real player's coming in that's what it was like with, with these guys when these guys came I mean they were 13, 14 years of age and then the players the adults after I you know, spoke to them to treat them properly and like the way I said to you uh, and don't, don't give them anything just play the way you normally play uh, He's away. <laughs> there you are. There you are. And uh, I said, treat them properly. And uh, everything just just came. Oh, it was uh, a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, you can imagine that uh, Gordon coming in and the rest of them, they see it. They all get a lift. The whole place started to 
function like a real football team, a real football club. Uh, Gordon got trans eventually got transferred, but before he, he got transferred, he played with Gavin Murray. Gavin couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it was his responsibility to help Gordon. And I'm saying in a nice way that he got that landed on his shoulders. Yeah. That, sorry. So I'm saying to Gavin, when the ball comes in, I say, you're the first man. Right? And you get up and you try and find Gordon. And I say, and he'll finish the rest of it. Uh, and, why, oh, I, 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 And he was, he was another guy that, you know, the right, the right type. He wanted to play, he loved playing football, Gavin Murray I'm talking mm, about. Yeah. Uh, he loved to play uh, and he was hard, hard as nails. Uh, and anybody playing against him, I, I, I went for him, I signed up for £5,000 for Sarah Smear and I needed somebody to play uh, beside Gordon just for Gordon's youth, his, his inexperience and Gavin was perfect for him. Uh, tough, hard as nails, experienced player, gave his all in every game, and I don't exaggerate what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I, I remember won. him fondly as a player. I don't remember him fondly as a manager, but that's a whole other thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I've I've never looked and seen what happened because I intend to tell you something that I probably shouldn't tell you, but uh, why not? Okay, it's the truth I'm telling. So why not? That's what we want. Well, Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you a quick question. Hmm? Based on, on Gordon Jury, who, you know, growing up as a as a, a kid in the, the 90s and early 2000s, you know, Gordon Jury was everything a Scottish kid aspired to be. He was scoring goals at Rangers, scoring goals for Scotland. What sort of the pride did you feel then that you played a part in his career? And then did you feel that same sense of pride again when he followed in your footsteps and went on to be somebody that's played and managed these five? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, when I went back to his five for the second time, uh, I said to the chairman, phoned up Gordon to see if he could still play. I said, the idea of having you, if you come back and play, you take, take my place when I finish. He said, oh, well, I think he was interested in that. But uh, when the chairman uh, found out uh, what I'd said to Gordon, uh, he said, it was quite right, uh, don't overstep my mark. Uh, but I said, but I only did it because I didn't think he would come otherwise. But if, it offered, if we could offer him that, he said, <laughs> you don't choose who's his vice manager. We choose who's his vice manager. And he was quite right. The era from 84 to 87 then was really our last sort of one of sustained success. Older people like Michael and my dad, you know, they, they go on about the, the fantastic side that you put together in that era. Um, we were really in a chance of getting promoted, uh, promoted right down to the last game of the season. So how do you look back at that time? Did you know yourself that, that the team that you had was special? Yeah. Uh, by that time, uh, we had experience behind us. We had time to make mistakes and uh, to work out how we wanted to. I'll tell you, just a wee thing. Uh, Jimmy Bonthorn, he uh, said, have you ever, he was the one that said to us, we've never, not, not one manager uh, used a board. 
you know, we're markers. But yeah. the autism nowadays, uh, even that amateur teams and juvenile teams, uh, they'll use the boards and the markings of the men to move into positions and show, and show that uh, it was Jimmy Bontron said to me when he came back as uh, selling the, the, t the club tickets, uh, that was Jimmy's job. Uh, I'd said to him that you can't come into the dressing room. I said, I'm, I'm happy you're here and you've got a job and because he wasn't, he wasn't getting, he wasn't in employment at the time and his wife said that uh, he wasn't in a good place mentally and she had phoned up Jim Baxter to ask if he could come back in any sort of form or way and good good for Jimmy uh, or Jim Baxter I'm talking about uh, he said I can offer him a job in the, in the tickets uh, so and Jimmy Bonthron came and then would talk and everything like that. But when I had the players in the dressing room uh, and picking the team and discussing things in the football, because I thought, well, why is Jimmy Bonthron coming back? They can't be happy with what's going on. Uh, and I felt it might be a threat to me, uh, to my position. Uh, and I just, I just made it crystal clear, well, uh, that's his job. And that is his job, uh, but we and he said that's fine. Uh, he took to I didn't say it in any bad way or, or anything like that. Um, but I said just I've got to get on with it. I said if, if I fall, uh, it'll be off my own own bat, my own making. And I said but likewise as well. If we're successful, I want it to be the same. That's because we've been successful, and by we I mean myself, Mike, and Danny, the th three main guys that. Uh, uh, and we team that we we did everything. Uh, I and that didn't explain to you uh, as well when I sacked all the the scouts. It was a revelation because uh, then I said to Danny, I said to Mike, and uh, we're going to, and Alec, Alec Ness, uh, the, the the one guy, ten pound a week to be an East Fife scout plus expenses. <laughs> that's what that's what he got uh, and. Alec was fantastic as well, and he covered the Edinburgh. I trusted him because I, I knew the quality of players that he had picked for Tinkcastle Boys Club. Alec did it, and you can look at the players. I mean, I had to. Gordon Marshall, he brought Gordon Marshall, uh, or, or he, he, he told me about Gordon. Uh, uh, John Lumsden, Gordon Scott, Willie Heard. These are four guys that uh, went for Transfer fees. I know what I heard went for, I think, 25,000. Gordon Scott went for 15,000 plus Tom McCafferty. We got Tom McCafferty, a player swap plus 15,000. Uh, Gordon went for 65,000. And John Munson went, went for 40,000, which was a, a steal, an absolute steal. Because he was the other one. There's been two players, superstars and special got that extra, extra special. Uh, one was Gordon and another one was John, John Lumsden. And I think was when he went down, went down to Stoke, they didn't handle him properly. John would be looking to be competing for the first team. And if he wasn't getting that, I could imagine that he wouldn't be happy. And he wasn't an argumentative guy or anything like that. He just knew he had something about him, you know, that was different uh, as a player. So that was uh, 
Alec, Alec did Edinburgh, uh, and uh, I was quite happy with that. And we used to used to phone me up and just say a game here, a game here, and I would go out and watch with him. Uh, Danny would phone me a game here, a game there, and I go would go out with Danny uh, and go and watch him in Fife. You know, he had uh, the juveniles all all set up, uh, and um, this is the difference between. Uh, as he's five, when I say as I say he's five, and the rest of the five teams, uh, I had Danny with the juveniles, and we worked our way to under 18 level, down to under 16, under 15, under 14, under 13. Every time a manager in, in a football team in five, Cowdenbeath, Dunfermline, Wraith Rovers, got the sack, then I knew that bought more time for us, gave us more time just to work through uh, the juveniles at the age groups and get lower and lower so we were getting the good players we were going in and challenging for the good players uh, at an age where the rest of the clubs in Fife and really the rest of Scotland uh, could handle with because we had bought time for for the club uh, to go after these players and I knew it was and I could trust Alec Nessie's judgment. I could trust Danny Hendry's judgment. And I could trust Mike Marshall's judgment. And I could trust my own judgment. Uh, so we used to go out, uh, and this is what I wanted. We'd go out to, to see the teams, to see the players, and we'd see them playing for their teams. Didn't I didn't need to invite them in for a trial in about a week's time. It was just instant. See them, are they good enough? Are they not good enough? Because over the years and with the experience we, we gained, we were able to, to have that judgment and be able to do it quickly. If we saw a player, we could really, well, we'd get a game organised. Why? I will, uh, well, it's next week, we'll have a reserve game and we're needing two trialists. We'll get one in. Not there he's there. And it was quicker. And we had that edge over the certainly the five teams uh, and we were, we became the strongest the strongest five team uh, uh, as well uh, and that was a wee a wee plus for us but that was a huge thing uh, that we were able to do but I was only able to do it because these three guys uh, their judgment was was to be trusted. You could trust them. And they loved what they did. Absolutely loved what they did. I like this. He's not with us anymore. Uh, Mike's not with us anymore. Uh, and Danny's 80. Uh, he's still still doing well and he's still involved with a football team. <laughs> I, was, I was sorry to hear um, about Mike Marshall. I used to work with his son, um, Mike <laughs> Jr. and Morrison's um, for... <laughs> For a long time, um, being a Glenorthis boy, so I, I was sorry to hear um, about him, certainly. So, I mean, we know how now you, you built your squad, and certainly based around youth, you know, probably a East Fife's answer to Sir Alex, you know, with the Fergley's fledglings, so definitely built a, a team based on youth. When we look back at the, the squad that you built, that special squad, that last game of the season against Falkirk um, at Brockville, where we came back from 2 0 down and gave Falkirk a really big fright. What was your memories of that day? How tense it was. 
uh, and what it meant to both teams. It was a, and it was full, you know, the, the place was full, the atmosphere was electric. I was uh, there. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I had a team that gave her all. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, and I couldn't ask any more of them. No. They gave everything. I was, we were so close. Oh, I know. I, I don't know if you know, but uh, on YouTube, Falkirk recently showed that game again. There's footage of it for the whole match. So they showed that, that game just a couple of weeks ago. I only watched the bit from when we started scoring. I, I didn't want to watch the whole game again. But after, like, when we got the first and then the second, a couple of minutes later... You should you should have a look at that again because it's just fantastic to see. It's fantastic to see old Brockville as well. Yeah, yeah. There was a game we played Falkirk at night, and uh, so dead we were so close, and they were in front, uh, and we pummeled them, absolutely pummeled them. But we just couldn't put the ball in the in the back of the net. This is at Brockville, and uh, Billy Lamont was the manager. Uh, the Falkirk and the dugouts were quite close together and uh, Falkirk's a small stadium and uh, the Falkirk players were getting desperate and they were wasting time and then this time the ball got booted over the over the stand and the other balls were and beside the home team the dugout uh, I don't know what possessed me but before I knew it I was in the next dugout Get a ball out, get a ball out. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Two, three rapid on the jaw. <laughs> and then uh, got, got, got the ball out though in front. So I'll never forget that. And then, uh, what was it? They came to Bayview. The next time Falkirk were playing his fife at Bayview, I got three tennis balls and I stuck them in their dugout. When they came in and were walking around, Billy Lamont came up to me and said, did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how much football's changed. There'd be a media outroar now if you were getting punched in the face in an opponent's dugout. So, I mean, we were so close to promotion in the Premier League. What do you think, if anything, we were missing to, to taking that step up? We had a good defence, good goalkeeper. Midfield was... Reasonable, you could do a, a real Premier League goal scorer, and these these are difficult to get. I don't know if East Fife could afford them, but you don't know when you get the chance. Uh, and you just if you can organise the the team and they respond, uh, which I'm quite sure the majority of the players would have. For me, it's kind of it's like one of those what if moments. Because if, if we'd gone up at that season, you, you look at, like the season before, Motherwell had gone up and pretty much established himself in the Premier ever since then. Then you had kind of like Hamilton went up and down, Dunfermline, Wraith, all these teams went up and down. I, I feel if we had gone up that season, we could have been one of those teams. But do you think the money with Jim Baxter and the board was there that could have sustained it? No, no. Uh, I think you're right. Um, it would have taken at least three bona fide Premier League players to come in. Yeah, uh, I found that later on uh, in my experience that 
it would have it would have because uh, while there were good players um, that I had um, and they'd be fine they would welcome it and embrace it because we were always up for a challenge uh, to be a full season playing at the intensity of the Premier League because whenever you go up whatever league you're in if you get promotion and you go up you're moving into a a better league Mm -hmm. right and that's every way every step of the way and you wouldn't have a big enough pool the the existing players that we had at that time there wasn't enough of them for us to go up and we can take you on and for us to be comfortable and know that we could cover uh, all circumstances. Uh, you need need three three new players, and just right, you're right in what you say. He's not going to be able to produce the money, and what actual Premier League player is going to come down to his face level and take a gamble on his career? We've got yeah. that to to think about as well. But uh, if hey. If it had happened, you know, honestly, uh, the Premier League is a place to be. Uh, when we had the underpack, when the the games that we had and the crowds, uh, oh, it's just fantastic. It's yeah. a, a place, a place to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, or the, it was to be. <laughs> yeah, the 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 following season then I, turned out to to be your last. For a spell uh, at East Fife, the before we get to that, I I want to ask you about one last match uh, from your time in that golden era, which was that Skull Cup game against Rangers at Bayview, the nil nil, and it, we took them to penalties. Soon as had just taken over Rangers, we were like just so good that night. We shut everything down. I know Chris Woods went off injured. We had a tough tackling team. And just to lose to one penalty miss was absolutely heartbreaking. There's actually some video footage of that. It's not very good quality. I've I've got a really crappy VHS version of it. But, I mean, what's your memories of that night? Because that, that was, for me, the epitome of what you had built with that team. You, were, you went head-to-head with a big spending Rangers team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played very well that night, uh, and the team was in place. Uh, all the hard work that had been done over the years were there. Uh, we're good players. We had we had good players at the end there, and uh, when it means good players, I'm not just saying that in its right way. Uh, experienced, hard professionals who were focused and playing for his faith and doing well for his faith. Uh, our training methods were terrific. I could tell you some things that we used to do that nobody else did. Teams didn't want to play against us. Nobody wanted to play against us. Part-time team, especially part-time teams, and when the full-time teams played against us, we realised we were in for a game. Uh, we could compete. could compete. And the players believed... Uh, believed in us, and likewise, we believed in them, and we trusted them. Uh, but <laughs> the penalty thing, when it came to the penalties, oh. It's just, it's heartbreaking 
for anyone to miss a penalty, but when it's a big game like that and you've got a packed bay view, just even more heartbreaking. Well, I got the team together in the centre circle at the end of the game and it was going to penalties. And I just said quite easy, uh, whoever doesn't want to take a penalty, stand outside the centre circle. Uh, so left and that left six six players and I looked at them and I said I want this must happen whoever takes a penalty you have to strike it and the goalkeeper always always dives to his left but I still want you to strike it into his right hand corner uh, you must promise me that you must do it uh, the hardest bit of this is the walk for here mm. Down to the penalty spot. No taking the penalty. It's the walk that can change your mind and play tricks on you. So get in your head, right? Whichever five it is that's taking it, uh, taking a penalty, it goes to the goalkeeper's right and you strike it. If you're not going to strike it, don't take a penalty. And I'll prefer players that take, that strike dead balls. If you don't strike a dead ball, I don't want you taking a penalty kick, like a corner kick, a free kick, and penalty kicks, and by kicks, because Gordon, I knew Gordon could take a penalty, Gordon Marshall I'm talking about, and uh, so that, and whenever, when I was saying that, I was staring at Hugh, because Hugh, a wonderful player, but he's a passer of the ball, he's not a striker of the ball, and he doesn't, doesn't take dead balls. And he said to me, he said, I know you're looking at me, David. He said, but I'm not backing down. I want to take a penalty. I need to take a penalty. And I looked at him. And I went, I'm sorry, yeah. I said, all these guys kick dead balls. And I'm taking that. I'm not going to let you take a penalty. And uh, he says, I want to take one. And... Raymond Blair. Raymond Blair was yeah, playing. Yeah, he's a good player. He said, he said, he said, David says, he said, I'll, I'll back off. He says, I'm new. Uh, Hugh's been here a wee while. Let him take a penalty. And I looked at him. And that weekend, a weekend, I looked at Hugh because I loved him. Hugh, he was a terrific good player. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay. I said, but you have to pass it. You have to put it. You have to strike it and pass it. You have to strike it and put it in the goalie's right hand side. And then the referee comes up, is that the names, right? Okay, done. Uh, we'll shake hands and uh, we have to go to the dugout and all the players are away through the centre circle and goes up. And, <sighs> you know what happened? He grounds up and they just rolled the ball into his left hand side and the goalkeeper was waiting on the ball coming to him, lying on the ground. Yeah. Uh, and when I went after the, after all was done, I went upstairs uh, to the boardroom. Uh, when she's have a chat with the managers and coaches uh, of the other team. Uh, it's a done thing. What happens that the manager goes up and speaks to the board of directors or the, the directors. Uh, good news, bad news, whatever, win, lose or draw. You go up and have a wee blather about what went on in the game. I'm climbing up the stairs to get to the, the door where the directors are. Boom, the door opens. 
What did you let Hugh Hill take a penalty for? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked and I just felt like weeping. And I looked and it was Jim, Jim Baxter. And I said, ah, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, the players have just put their whole heart into that game. They've tried their best. They've missed a penalty. I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not coming in. And so I'm not going to come in. And it's the first and only time that I never did that to go in because I always went in when there was a draw uh, and, and faced the music or said oh, how good how good the game was, you know, whatever. Uh, and that, I said, I just turned around and walked away. I, I, I still, rem- that's another night I still remember so well. But I mean, that, that season, the 86 87 season, it was the, the last one of your, your first tenure at East Fife. And obviously, this is the day before the internet, social media, all this stuff. So when word came through that you were leaving and you were going to Falkirk, it was like for me, it was a bombshell. I was stunned. I don't know that anyone really saw it coming. When you when you came back in 2001, um, I remember reading an interview on the BBC website where you said that something had happened at the club and it had made you very angry and upset and that made your mind up that, that you wanted to leave. Now, at the time, there were rumours around that you'd wanted to bring in a striker and the club hadn't given you your backing for it. I think John Brogan's name was one of the guys that was kind of put out there, but I mean, do you want to share exactly what happened? What made you leave East Fife? Yeah, uh, the chairman was bringing his steps on onto the board. Yes, uh, and had vast experience of him as a a youngster uh, at the club, and uh, I knew he was going by introducing him uh, over a about a two year period when he came to the games. Uh, to watch at home and then he sat in after just so after I explained to you what happened he would go after a game up to the director's box uh, I would go in and I'd been through everything I'd served my apprenticeship and they knew they could trust me but it worked so hard to get the show on the road and a j- broken jigsaw puzzle for a part time team to have the team that we had was Excellent. And at first I went, I would go up and, uh, oh, usual, asking questions and how's this, how's that, who's, who's, who's he getting on? Uh, oh, you find a player, uh, what, did, what did he get fined for? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they'd come in and say, we're not happy. And I'd look at him. This is Stephen, Stephen Baxter. They say, we're we're wanting, we're wanting you to play with three forwards up front. And everybody played four four two. Everybody, the, the whole world, the whole world of football, played four four two. And I looked at him and I said, "Name one team, name one team that play four three three and they're successful. Rattle off the three forwards." Mm. See, but you could do it. We could do it. And I wouldn't. No. I knew he was going to be a pest. I'm not thinking he would he would abuse his position, mm. uh, and that's that's saying it nicely. So I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to control myself. And, 
Right. So you felt it was you just had to to move on. I mean, well, when when did you know Falkirk were interested in you then? That's it. To uh, to make him Danny. I said I can't put up with this this guy anymore. Uh, if anybody comes in for me, I'm going to jump at the chance, no matter who. And uh, actually, um, Hibs. I've had a secret meeting with Kenny Walk. Chairman, the chairman at Easter Road, and uh, he wanted me to be half with uh, Andy Gray. Mm-hmm. Andy Gray would put the bums on the seats because uh, he was the, the top man on the telly at the time yeah. for talking. Uh, he said, but you take the, the coaching. Uh, and, I, and I looked up <laughs> and I said, no. I said, I don't hear, I don't know Andy Gray. I said, I don't know where we'll will mix uh, or or be able to see each other's point of view. Uh, uh, I said, you're not needing a question mark uh, to run your club just now because they weren't in a good position. Uh, I said, you're needing somebody that you know has got experience in the Premier League and, and knows what he's doing and he's got the, the experience to pull you out of it. And he, he looked at me and he said, so you know? I said, no, no, no wonder. If I get the, the sack, it's because of my mistakes, not because of uh, somebody else's mistakes, like Andy, Andy Gray's. I said, I said, but it's your choice. You have to make your, your own decision. Uh, I said, I'm making mine. And we shook hands and that was fine. But uh, I've never, never ever told anybody that. So what he's doing to me. <laughs> 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 I mean, the, like for me, this is great. I was just thinking about this the other day because, as I said, we spoke to Willie Brown last week. These tales don't exist anywhere because no one's ever like put them on record. So, like, but doing this, it's something that people my generation are hearing stuff for the the first time that we never got to hear how the club was run because that just nowadays everyone knows everything. There's club insiders and all this stuff going on, but we're now we're kind of recording stuff from an era that has never been recorded before. So, I mean, I think it's fantastic having these chats. When you left East Fife, years later, you said that it was the worst decision of your, your football career. Do you regret walking away then, or was it just such an untenable position that you had to just get out of there? I had, I, I had to go. I never, ever uh, could take to the boy um it's just he was so full and confident um i mean i love the chairman and you know, i love jim uh and helen is his second wife and betty is yeah. first wife. uh lovely people uh it just is isn't it and i for, for all the all the players that i've i've handled or 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 been been involved with uh the personalities and that for not being able to see him, but I'm a bit disappointed in myself afterwards uh, when it all worked out that uh, how would it have went? But uh, and what I've not done, what I've not done, and what I should do is uh, uh, I, when Gavin got the job after me, I phoned him up uh, and spoke to him, and um, was, at the end of it, um, I'd, I'd give him some advice and uh, I said to him, anytime you feel there's a problem when you're not sure, I said, phone me. 
just phone me and we'll talk things through. Because uh, I knew that he would be, and I don't know, I've not looked at, I think Gavin lasted for five years. I think it was five. Something it, like five such, years. Such a horrible time because it sort of undid everything that you had built. The and wheels come to the pram. Yeah, we, we, we never really recovered fr from you leaving. I'm not blaming you. I mean, obviously you have to, to move on, but it kind of undid all that. And well, I, I don't blame myself for it. Oh, no, that. no. I mean, at, at the time, it's like when you left, I know there was a few of us were like, how can he leave? How can he go to Falkirk? And of course you took Gordon Marshall and, and Stuart Burgess with you as well. But what you did that end of that season at Falkirk, keeping them up, that last day you went at Parkhead, 2-1 I think it was. I mean, where does that rank in your football achievements? Oh, uh, I think that had to be, well, I think I took over with about 16 games to go and they were rock bottom. Mm. I, I have to, right, you've, you've made me think, as, in all seriousness, that is the biggest achievement I've ever done. There was 16 games to go, they were rock bottom. Uh, when I arrived at the place, uh, all the players were, were when they were out training, and they were swearing at each other. They weren't applying themselves. They weren't doing anything. And then, uh, slowly but surely, well, most slowly, <laughs> as it turned out, uh, it has to be done quickly. Um, I let a lot of players go, just freedom, because a change from. Uh, Billy Lamont was a manager and he had a man-for-man -man marking, defending midfield players. You go with a man and you stay with him wherever he is. And that's the whole, the, the team practically. And he had a couple of wee wizards playing uh, that would create create chances for them. Uh, and that was their way of scoring goals, but that was their way of playing man-for-man -man marking. Uh, so it was there and it was, he was very successful at it until he came to that level, and uh, I had to change it and change the players to get what I wanted and have what I knew and what I thought was uh, going to be the way forward for them. And it was four four two, uh, and I had to get it all changed, turned it inside out, upside down, until uh, I got what I wanted and quickly. Uh, and I changed them from being man for man marking uh, and and then a four four two and able to able to play and compete against teams. And it worked. It was one at Parkhead, the game, we worked a free kick uh, and practice. And it was a wee bit complicated, but the first goal that we got, it was that from the free kick. Um, when you're doing things like that and they'll come off for you, uh, it just helps everything when you're trying to lift people, lift players, get them, you know, to lift their heads up and get their pride back and, and get their desire back again uh, to go out and play football and uh, believe that they can have a chance uh, to compete against the teams that they're playing against. That that was another game that they, they just showed on YouTube as well. So again, if you want to relive that, you can you can catch that again on YouTube. It's amazing that there's even any footage from that time. I just wish there was more East Fife footage from that time because there really isn't. <laughs> Great times. So yeah. 
Your departure to, to Falkirk signalled the, the Gavin Murray years for us. Um, and it sort of was the beginning of the downward spiral, if, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think, in your words, happened after you left? And did you think that the decline would be as rapid as it was? Yeah, yeah. The directors would take over and uh, influence Gavin. Um, they had money. Uh, with the transfers, Gordon Marshall, 65,000. Uh, they had money in their fingers and they would probably also what happened. Uh, it was the chairman that came to me and said, I've got a centre-half for you. And so this is part of the story that has to be uh, to let you understand. And I said, oh, I, because I knew that all the directors didn't like Ken Halley. Mm. Do you remember Ken? Yeah. Ken he, I know the fans turned on Ken towards the end of his time as well. Aye. Uh, but because um, the team was improving all the time. And he was okay. He was good. Uh, terrific guy. Uh, and, uh, but he, didn't, he couldn't just bridge that extra wee bit to be comfortable in his position. He always seemed to be something... A struggle uh, to get close to well uh, so what we're talking about <laughs> the, the wheel the wheels coming off after you move yes, basically yes, the, basically the, the rapid decline the rapid decline aye uh, it would be him it would be him um, it'd be because he had the confidence um, the chairman Came and said, I've got a cent and a half for you. Uh, he said, I've, I've, I've bought him. And I looked at him. I said, you've what? Uh, he said, uh, he says, we've bought him uh, from Albion Rover, Stuart Burgess, £5,000. I said, oh, really? Aye. I said, you're just telling me now. I said, is he here? Because it was, it was a training night. He said, I said, is he here? Uh, and he said, yeah, 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 he's here. And uh, she said, it's all right, Dave, it's all right. I said, it's not all right. She said, how can you buy a player? Uh, when I'm the manager, surely you should tell me that you've seen a player and I go and watch him. Yeah. Uh, and then if I like him, I'll tell you and you, we can do the deal. Uh, I said, you can't go in uh, or any, any other directors. You can tell me about players, advise me and help me as much as I possibly can. I said, but you can't. You can't uh, go and buy players. I says, you've just disrespected me in front of all the players. You've, that's, you've, I've not, they'll lose respect for me. I'm the manager. Everybody thinks, players think a manager's a manager and it's what he says goes. Me coming in and manager, I know they want to have their say and they want to influence managers uh, by whatever means they use and the plenty of ways of using it uh, and they want what Frank, you mentioned Frank Christie Mike used to tell me when I was early and, and, and young uh, uh, at the management game uh, when they did the training him and Frank Christie uh, Frank would go up to the board meetings on a Monday night uh, and on the Monday at training after the, the Saturday game Monday training, uh, he would have his team worked out in his head and he would put that team in against the reserves or, or whoever else was there uh, and would play a practice game. Uh, and that was it. And then he'd go to the board meeting 
to come Thursday night, total change. Total change after he was influenced by the directors and he would bow down to them. I wouldn't. Mm. wouldn't well, quite right. That's why you're there. You're the manager. Uh, when I took over, uh, we were rubbish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were. Yeah. I wouldn't get the job. Uh, and yeah. There'd been about three or four managers uh, who, had, had, as a player, said, who's signing this guy? Who's signed him? Inside my head. What's he doing here? Jesus Christ. What is this? What's happening? And just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, and then... Oh, anyway. <laughs> so do you feel that that sort of undermining of your your job by them bringing Burgess in was that just the, the, the sort of straw that broke the camel's back for you then and just went well I'm not oh, putting up that I said I, I, I packed in I, I quit uh, and over a period of a week he phoned me three times and asked me to come back and I didn't I didn't want to leave I didn't want to leave because I loved it that much and uh, the third time I'd, I'd thought of something that might work and uh, I said to him, I said, the first thing I'll have to tell you, I said, if I do get an agreement from you, I said, I'll be telling the players everything that happened. Because I was always open with them because it's their club, players' club. Anything, uh, any club was interested in a player, I would tell the player anything. Uh, I said to him, seven years, Paul Burt, remember the name? Yeah, he was a, he was a local guy, was he not? From local guy, yeah. Paul Rothis, maybe even. But he played very, very rarely. Yeah. Um, Mike, it was one of Mike's players uh, that he recommended to me. And he said, and his words were, he said, I'm not sure. It might be something and he'll turn into something terrific or it could be nothing. It's either or. There'll not be anything in between. He'll either be successful or he'll not be successful. Uh, well, for seven years, I wouldn't have played him because I didn't know what I was going to get on the park from him. Put him in one game, I think it was Meadowbank, that we played against, and he scored three goals, something like that, and he ran riot. And he was terrific, and I yeah. grabbed a hold of him and said, come on, how can you not play like that all the time, you know? Yeah. And, and he just shrugged his shoulders. Uh, and it was just, didn't see eye to, in the end of it, didn't see eye to eye, and uh, he was the most fine player uh, he did. I sent him to the reserves and I got changed with the, the, the reserves and he'll be there all the time. The directors loved him to a man and chairman especially. Uh, they were, tried, tried, tried to get, get me to play him. And I did try with him, but then I knew I wasn't getting anywhere, so I just gave up. Uh, but I tried to move him on to other teams as well, like the other three uh, five clubs I would do that for a player swap and it got to the bit where I would, any player I would do it with any player without letting the, the, these clubs know uh, that it didn't matter who it was I would take them uh, and try and work with him uh, so it came to that bit I said to him I said okay okay uh, the deal's this if you want me to come back you release Paul Burt and I get to tell all the players exactly what's went on here and you never ever ever do it again if you see a player you let me know and I say under these circumstances 
I said it's not been good. It's not going to be good for any of us, uh, reputation-wise. But um, it'll be. It was good for the team. Good for the club. I wasn't, I wasn't daft. Stuart was a good player, terrific, and he came in and he was. He was an addition to the team, uh, and he had a lot to a lot to offer us. And Paul got released. He, he didn't know. He always thought it was me that was holding him back. I would have freed Paul after the first season. I would have let him go, and he could have had about six years playing football on a regular basis with some club. But no, there you are. That's what happens. Crazy. So, I mean, the, the whole team that you're managing East Fife then, you, you were an electrician at the dockyard. How did you find the, the demands of juggling both jobs? Fine. I had the two nights training, a Monday night and a Thursday night, and then a Saturday game, unless there's midweek games, that sort of stuff. And then you just organise your schedule differently. Uh, but what was important, um, especially early on, was able to get out and about and look at other teams uh, for talent, for better players, with no money, <laughs> uh, to work in the transfer market uh, with, with professional players, um, unless it's a player swap, I knew I wasn't getting any money, so we had to find them ourselves, and that's what we did, we found yeah. better players, because um, I wasn't happy with the players, that, um, as I said to you before, I wasn't happy with the standard of the players that were coming to the club. For sure, we must be able to get better players somewhere. And then to prove it to myself, I had to go out and do it. So my my lifestyle was my work, yes. I'll tell you something. <laughs> uh, my work, yes. Uh, did that. And when you you're doing your work, that's that's fine. That's what what you have to do. But I was young at the time. Uh, it wasn't a problem. And then come back back to my house in Dunfermline, uh, and uh, have twenty minutes. A cup of tea, get organised. See you, see you tonight, right? Go to Bayview, well, do the training. Or one of the guys had uh, a game that I needed to see, a juvenile game or a junior game or a player, because we started looking for players um, at the junior level, right? To sign juniors and work our way and always keep um, the juniors covered. The juveniles covered every season because new players are coming and the, the kids, the S-forms, all these covered. You've got to watch all the games. So we were, and this is what I'm not sure if people knew it or it was publicised or whatever. I don't think so. We just did it ourselves because we loved it. I loved it. Danny loved it. And Mike loved it as well. Uh, and these guys were, and Alec, I'm forgetting Alec, Alec, Absolutely phenomenal uh, judges. I mean, Mike, Gordon Jury, Jim McClellan, Davy Kirkwood, Danny, Paul Hunter. Uh, and when I was away for the club, uh, Danny got the, the centre forward that went for about £200,000. Yes, Davy Ferguson. Uh, yeah, the one that went to Spurs. Yes, it was Danny that found him. He saw him and recommended them to go and see him and sign him. And that's what happened. And Mike, great talent for uh, seeing players because he used to take the schoolboys and that and, and, and take them at his job. But he was wonderful uh, as a coach as well. Never never rested, always looking to, 
uh, the little things, she made the little things better. We had a back four uh, that we could trust, a right back, a left back, and right back getting forward and coming back and being a good defender. You could read what was happening in the game. And the game's coming down the opposite side. You can't be standing away wide. He has to come in into the box to help the centre-halves and the goalkeeper. Right? And then exactly the same the other side. Uh, the right back's out wide, taking care of the danger. The left back's got to come in and be beside his centre half and his goalkeeper, just to extra cover. Uh, and if it gets the ball gets played into the middle, then switched out. He's got to get out and he's got to come in, work that, work that, work that, till you get possession of the ball. And then these two fullbacks, right, looking to get released, right, released, and no getting the ball passed out to his feet. The ball's getting passed out in front of him, so he has to run onto it, and it kills the, the centre forwards. 4 4 2, two forwards coming chasing after them. Don't do it, no do it. If the ball's played in front of the guy, he's on it, he's running, he's at pace, he's doing it, he's not standing waiting the ball coming, and so is the centre, centre forward coming. He's coming as well to take the ball off him. But the centre halves, Stuart Burgess and Jim McLaren, drilled into it. Passing the ball in front, in front of Brian Jenkins, off you go. And while at the same time that's happening, the midfield four, as a four, go forward, go forward, go forward, leaving a huge space for the back four to work their stuff and release one of the fullbacks. So the space to work in, and it's uh, it's not four that they've got. In defence, it's five. The goalkeeper they could use Gordon because Gordon was good with his feet to take care of the two forwards. Things like that, coming up with things like that. The players wanted to come between it. Our disciplinary record, where we had their team, a strong team, was the best in Scotland. We never yeah. got any bookings. We didn't have. We got very few bookings and very few sent-offs. Sent-offs. All the players wanted to play for the team. I'm serious, I'm telling you yeah. the truth. Well, that changed after you left when Billy Brown came in. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they did it themselves as well. You know, players like Gavin uh, and Brian Jenkins and Graham Hutt. Zico is still, for me, like we, we do a thing where we're, we're picking our all-timeies five players that we've seen. And so many of my team are actually from your 84 to 87 era. And Zico's in his left back for me. He was just outstanding. Uh, he was uh, terrific behind the scenes. He was one of the players. He was a joker, uh, but an, a good joker. No, no cruel or anything like that. Uh, he was genuinely funny. Um, but he was there to mess around. He was there to play uh, and play well and play hard. Yeah. Uh, and if anybody wasn't it. Uh, well, like if you mentioned Mike Marshall there, and you've talked, we've talked about him a few times now. For me, I, I think back to your time, and it's like Brian Clough had Peter Taylor, you had Mike Marshall, and you went together to Falkirk and stuff as well. What was it about the pair of you that worked so well together? Uh, Mike wouldn't swear, but he was, he was intelligent, nice, which I think it to some players would go against them mm. because he, he spoke proper. He understood how the game was played. 
and they would be always thinking of how to improve what you mean, even the slate itself gives you two examples of the slight details that transformed the club. The biggest thing of all, we played Hearts at Tynecastle, and uh, yeah, I was playing. Cup, yeah. I was playing in a game myself, I, in the cup, and big Sandy Clark and we John Robertson, yeah, they were playing, and uh, I came off the the park and I said to Mike, I never had so so less time on the ball in that game than compared to other games. And he says, I, and he looked at me and I said, he's got ball came to me. He said, they were putting pressure on me. And that was the forwards, forwards tackling the the defenders. Wasn't it right? I said, but um, we were lucky to get away with it. Uh, And uh, he said, imagine if the whole team did it. I looked at him and said, yeah, well, if the forwards can do it, why can't the rest of the team do it? He said, you're right enough. And I said, we'll work on that, we'll do that. And for that game, honestly, now, I'm, no, I'm not telling you any lies or any any tales. I'm telling you the absolute honest truth. For that time, uh, we worked on, we called it pushing in. It's called pressing now. And yeah. pushing in, and we did it. And... We used to do it every night without fail that we were training. We'd finish, we, we're doing the pressing in, and the players loved it, absolutely loved it. You know, Gavin Murray, who had run all day, uh, Graham Hutt can run all day, Tom McCafferty can run all day. Uh, you go and they're just players at the top of my head. Uh, we had the real, real part, real hardcore, good quality part time players. Mm-hmm. Right, and if you that, that's why nobody wanted to play against us, and that was that was we had other things up our sleeve as well that we used to do on the park uh, and manage it and game, and we had we did it by working with the players. Didn't matter about running about or with passing balls or anything like that. We had to get things right on the park because we knew they were good enough, good enough players to kick the ball about. Uh, we needed to get them set up so that when things happened on the park, they knew that they could do what things like. Uh, goalkeepers were would pass the ball out short to the one of the fullbacks at the side. The side. Well, we had Gavin and whoever else was uh, beside them. He would organise himself. Uh, so when the goalkeeper took a bye kick, he would be. If was, the goalkeeper was taking it for the right-hand side, his right-hand side, the goalkeeper, Gavin, would be in between the centre-half and the left, the left-footed centre-half, and the other forward would be between the left centre-half and the left-back, right? But ready to move as soon as the goalkeeper touched it, as soon as he drew his leg back to pass it out to the right-back. And we had Tom McCafferty, in front of them, and instead of behind, the goalkeeper's going to take a bike kick, you're expecting the midfield man, your midfield man, to be behind the man he's marking, right? Well, he would have him in front of the guy, uh, in front of him, and Brian Jenkins ready, uh, who would be free to run on and take take him when Tom went forward. So when the goalkeeper took the free kick and he passed it out wide right, Tom McCafferty, Gavin Murray, and the other player, I forget who it is, would push in. And we Tam was the best of it of all. He was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, great the, little player. 
ich fiel, nein, ich gehe schießt der Geiger, und it takes we one possession of the ball in, in deep places like that, and we're on attack. Yeah. Uh, we used to do things like that, that um, I know myself, uh, only Roy Barry had started to work on things to try and help us to create chances but um, I always thought it wouldn't work because uh, it was terrific what he, he tried to do, um, but it involved about four passing movements, and we weren't good enough to, to make four passing movements. Uh, but he stuck with it and kept on trying. Um, he was a reasonably good manager, I would say. Uh, but um, no, that was, that was what we, we found, that we worked on these things, and the players responded uh, and they, they loved it and uh, they wanted to, they couldn't get enough of these things. Well, I mean, over the years, we were, like the fans wanted you back at Bayview and once you left Falkirk, you were out of the game for like 11, 12 years. I mean, you surely must have had interest in that time. Was there ever a chance of coming back to Bayview before you did in 2001? Uh, no, nobody asked me. That's it. I'm surprised at that because it's like the fans, whenever there was a vacancy fans would be like when we had our online stuff they'd be like oh we should get Davy Clark back in so how, how did you end up coming back then in 2001 because at that time because you'd been so far removed it felt like just out of nowhere that you were the guy that then came in and it was a difficult time for the club as well well what happened was uh, Stevie had an assistant his assistant and I don't think what I got told anyway, the directors didn't like him. He didn't do anything. He just stood and watched the games when the games were played. And the director said to Stevie, you need to replace we're not happy with. So Stevie had to had to do the, the dirty work and, and release the guy. And uh, I think David Gorman was about the club at the time. And some, was he a goalkeeping coach? Maybe? I think uh, so. I think he was also first he might have been first team coach as well. He was definitely goalkeeping coach. Right. And uh, he was there definitely in some some form. And it was Stevie. And Davey said to Stevie, so about Davey Clark. And uh, Stevie said, okay. And, uh, and Davey said he would phone me and uh, ask. And that's right. He phoned me and I said, ah, I'll come back. Ah, gladly. I mean, when you came back then to take over after Rab Shannon moved on, and did you ever have any doubts about coming back that second time because of what you'd done before in case it did tarnish your legacy a little bit? No, no, that wasn't going to bother me. Just, I was keen to do it and I enjoyed it. But uh, I, came as, I came as a coach uh, at first and I soon found out that uh, that wasn't for me mm. to be just a coach. I needed to be in at the decision making and I didn't have didn't have enough didn't have enough uh, say in the matter about what the end product was and what the uh, how it all should be done. I mean did you feel the game had changed a lot? Because I think some fans criticized that period of that you were maybe trying to get the team to play the way that they had in the eighties. But the game had moved on a little bit, but it had worked in the eighties. And I did you notice that the game was very different when you came back? The place was very different, and uh, the park was huge. 
yeah. in comparison to uh, old Bayview. So we had to change the way we played. We had to keep possession uh, uh, as much as possible uh, and work the ball that way because <laughs> to get from one end of the park to the other park, you're not going to do that about 30 times during a game. Uh, so uh, when you lose the ball, uh, you want to work to get it back again. So it's always expend, expending your, 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 your energy uh, and defending uh, rather than having the ball and trying to attack. So I think uh, that was one of the first things that I tried to do to have better use of the ball, to be able to keep it longer and no, no gamble uh, uh, and try and hope that something when you create something throw the ball into the box but there's nobody there all you're doing is giving it to them uh, if there's nothing going down the right hand side and it's nothing there you keep it and you turn back and you pass the ball across the way or back the way so that they look again just what they're doing nowadays and keep the ball on the ground as much as possible You lasted nine months in that second stint as manager and it was such a tumultuous time at the club, Danskin, everything had happened with him, he'd moved on, Bruce Black came in, there was just no money, it fell, and you said at the time when you left that you were frustrated because you were looking to get some cash to improve the team and it just wasn't there, is that why you, you felt you just had to walk away? No, no. No? Uh, no, wasn't that. Um, I had to go because I'd got a, a hip operation, a new hip, and... Uh, I was getting pensioned off with my work and I couldn't be employed by anybody else. Oh, right. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, well, talking of your work, someone shared, like we asked people for their memories. So we, we got someone to share a, a story and I don't know if this is true or not. I really hope it is because if it is, it's fantastic. But apparently when you worked at the dockyard, you used to call East End Park because... Dunfermline, for those that don't know, we had big rivalry games in the mid-80s. It was fantastic. That was our big rival. But apparently, according to this, the rumour is you called East End Park pretending to be press from Dunfermline Press so you could get their team selections. Is that true? No. no oh, no, no. that would have been a great story. Let's give you a that. <laughs> no, no. No, uh, I wasn't worried with Dunfermline that much. No, never, we, never, we owned them. It's like we, we... Uh, never, never. Uh, Jim Leishman uh, never, never won a game against us. Uh, and also, who was it? Terry Christie from Meadowbank. Yes, always seemed to either beat them or draw with them. Yeah. Uh, and Big Leishman, I saw him oh, two or three years ago, and I know he always uh, you, yeah, we bandit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember those games. Like the one in particular was in, in August. It was four two, and we were four 0 up and coasting, and then we let them get two late goals. But that was just a clinical, clinical derby. And again, after you left, we've struggled in derbies ever since for whatever reason. It's just really weird. It's great, absolutely fantastic. Do you still look out for these five results now, or is is that the team you look out for the most? Oh, first, first, first name is Fife. I was a lucky one. Achieved what I wanted to, to be a professional footballer, albeit a part-time, uh, but uh, to go on to be uh, the manager 
not once but twice, and to leave on my own accord, I don't think I could have asked for anything more out of my life than the time I had. The personalities that were involved in the in the football, the managers, I think I've said to you, a couple of them I didn't, didn't like, and I mean, I mean that as a personality as well, as uh, how they operated as managers. But um, I have no complaints. Uh, I can have absolutely no complaints. Uh, but the players played for me overall, and I'm just saying all. And out of that all, there'll be two or three that didn't agree with me or couldn't see eye to eye sort of thing or wouldn't bend or conform to what I was asking them to do. They always have a little amount, but uh, overall, what an experience. What a club to play for. Jim Philp, Jesus, he was in charge of the, the backroom staff. Uh, Ed Doig was a groundsman. Jimmy Fairgrave, he had one good leg and one, one tin leg. Uh, these were the guys that, that did everything behind the scenes, washed the clothes, washed the jerseys, washed the strips, uh, polished all the boots, did everything. And imagine doing that. Jim Fulk played for a, a successful team. He's yeah, team. I know, Time. in the 50s. And then he comes down and then he's polishing boots of some numpty that can't even tie his laces. That's true. Well, I know, I always wondered what he must have thought about, especially during the really dark days under under Gavin and stuff. It's like the club was unrecognisable to what it was in your time and then unrecognisable to that team in the 70s and then the, the team in the 50s. But, I mean, you, you obviously played with a lot of great players and played against a lot of great players. So we're just going to round everything off now. Lee's going to have a, a chat with you about your all-time 11s. I hope you wrote these down because um, I spoke to your daughter yesterday and she's like, is there anything that needs to prepare? And I was like, the one thing that we ask everyone is their best 11 that they played with and their right. best that they played against. Did they get to know? Yeah, we'll let them know. It's the ones that don't get in. Yeah. Because uh, loads of players uh, that could possibly be in, it's, it's really, um, it would be perfect to have the squad Instead of having 11 players, 16 players, hey, go and, for it. and just not have anybody else, just these players. Yeah, just go for it. You name whoever you want. You can name any players that you want. Right, well, let's, first of all, I have to say, um, I had three goalkeepers I played with in front of. Uh, David Gorman, Ernie McGarr, and Gordon Marshall. The three of them were brilliant. Yeah. We did it. Uh, I'll just say that... Um, that and he'll be sick to his teeth about uh, about that. But everybody says it. Uh, the only thing wrong with him was his lack of height. Can't do anything about it. What he did do was make sure that everything else was right, and he was superb. What he was infinitely superb about would be uh, somebody breaking through with just a goalkeeper to beat and the balls at his feet. Oh, no chance of beating there. Brave heart of a lion, he'd dive at the guy's feet, anybody's feet, he'd do anything, and he was so agile. Uh, but there you are. The next one, Ernie, uh, had everything, absolutely everything. He had the height, and I just think he was getting older. He had his time at Aberdeen, and he came to East Fife, and he did really, really well for us. Terrific goalkeeper, 
I couldn't afford him at all. And, and it was a pleasure to play in front of him. But Gordon, Gordon Marshall, to me, was just complete. Yeah, absolutely everything. Yeah. Uh, so he would be the goalkeeper. Yeah. Man. Top 11. Uh, three centre-halves, Stuart Burgess, John Marris, and Jimmy. Jim McLaren? Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. speak to anything. God, how did I... No, he was fabulous. Yeah, he, he's That's a good. guy that makes my all-time 11 for guys that I've seen. Yeah. I'd love Jim McLaren. Aye, terrific. Um, came down for his first trial. He wore glasses and and he didn't have his, what do you call them? Contacts. contacts. He had forgot his contacts he had to play. And it was a windy, wet, blizzard night and he was playing. And he was hopeless, absolutely hopeless. He couldn't kick the ball, he couldn't see. And he was terrible. <laughs> and I said to Mike, I said, do you recommend him? Christ, Mike, if you were a, a, a scout, I would sack you for recommending him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, word got back. It was Nori MacArthur, but uh, I don't know if you know Nori. Uh, it was him that recommended him to Mike and Mike to me. And uh, Nori came back to Mike about two months later, and I was still desperate for a centre half. And uh, he said that uh, uh, Jim McLaren, he didn't have his contact lenses. Uh, can you give him another chance? And I said to Mike, no chance. Uh, I said, it didn't be that bad. Could could possibly be good. Uh, and then I thought, oh, I'm desperate for a centre-half because I had two, Rob, Robert Muirhead and Graham Beveridge, who are youngsters, and I thought they're definitely going to come in, but they weren't ready at the time. And at that time, we really needed a centre-half. Uh, so we got a game organised, and Jim McLaren came in, and uh, he was, I signed him at half-time. He was brilliant. Oh, wow. I never, ever, ever, I'm serious, I never, ever seen him play a bad game for his life. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's, I'm going back, testing my memory, but yeah, he, I just loved watching him play. No, he was uh, effortless, effortless. Right, um, five in midfield. Wide right, Stevie Kirk, Pat Quinn, Inside them, yeah, I've got, I've got about four teams here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alec Gray, John Lumsden, and Tom McCafferty. Oh, yeah, have to have wee Tom in there. Okay, and up front, two players, Gavin Murray and Gordon Jury. Oh, interesting. My apologies to Hugh Hill, Bertie Miller, George Stewart, Graham Hutt, Brian Jenkins, Robin Thompson, and anybody else that knows me. <laughs> I think anyone that remembers that the time of Geordie Dewar will be surprised that you had Gavin Murray in instead of Geordie. Aye, aye. No, um, Gavin was more physical, ideal for Gordon at the time when Gordon came in. And, mm. and it's at that time that um, you know they were playing together. Yeah, that's true. I, I still haven't really forgiven Gavin for missing that chance against St Mirren in the Cup when he blasted over from, like, close range in the dying minutes. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things that stick in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're bound to have played against some excellent players, Davey, so I'm looking forward to hearing your best 11 against. Well, Gordon Banks. 
Oh Sydney. yeah, because he was up for the friendlies count. Yeah, oh yeah, uh huh. Because I know we played some glamour friendlies, or what would have been like glamour friendlies in the early seventies. So, yeah, Gordon Banks, I remember being up. Well, I don't remember, but I've got the program for it. Danny McGrain, right back, centre halves. Well, Jimmy Johnson has to play. Uh, Willie Johnson has to play. I'm talking when they're at their peak. Yeah. Well, you brought Willie Johnston in East Fife. I actually spoke to Willie out here because he played for Vancouver Whitecaps. So I've spoken to him a couple of times. He was so... He spoke so highly of you about giving him a chance to... He said that you asked him to do him a big favour, but he he said he just enjoyed turning out for those four games. Yeah, yeah. He was he was finished at professional level, uh, speed-wise, movement-wise. Uh, his legs were just gone uh, and it was sad I was so so excited because I thought he was a lovely lovely player brilliant player uh, and uh, a nice guy as well yeah uh, but and you could the amount of times he got sent off because guys there's only way they could stop him yeah Try, hack him to bits hack, actually physically hack him to pieces uh, because <laughs> four yards away for you and he's pointing he's going to put the ball there and he's telling you where he's going to do it and he does it and he goes and the time you're turning is about two yards in front of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a he's a cult figure out here because there was one game where he was away to take a corner someone offered him a beer he dined the beer and then took the corner and they scored from the corner <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 what about uh, other players then? Just throw out any names of players that you can remember that really stuck out. Eusebio. Oh. Yo, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. It was at uh, Larks. We were doing the, uh, the courses for the coaching under, what do you call him, Andy Roxborough and Craig yeah. Brown. Yeah. And he had came over. I think he was interested in and just seeing the place and get maybe heard something of it. Uh, but all the coaches were there and managers were there and that and players. Uh, and we got, got a game organised playing wow. against We asked him if he would t- do free kicks and he did about half a dozen. We had these kind of the wood, wooden walls, the wooden yeah. figures set up to, to, to uh, he showed us how he, how he takes his free kicks. A gentleman, an absolute gentleman. That's superb. Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, played with uh, Bobby Charlton. Uh, came up for another testimonial game, uh, and he played, and he wasn't he wasn't happy. He played in the game, and uh, Tommy Gamble came in at halftime, and it was nothing, nothing. We were playing terrible, and uh, nobody said anything. Everybody silence in the dressing room when we came in. I'm talking about for a, a good minute and a half, and that's a long time <laughs> to be silent in a dressing room at half time. And nobody was saying anything. Uh, we're just looking at the floor, and then uh, Tommy Gemmell said, Frank F, we decided to play it tight. <laughs> we were getting beat 2 0 or 3 0, that's what it was. And then uh, Everybody laughed, that broke the ice, and everybody laughed, but nobody chanting. They got up, what about tomorrow morning when you pick up the papers and you read about the game and the score? 
said, get your fingers out and start playing. And then he <laughs> went away to the toilet for a pee. <laughs> he wasn't happy. But uh, he played in the game, and it was Old, Bay, old Bayview, uh, and played him and Nobby Styles. And when he, Nobby Styles came up, he, Nobby Styles didn't play, but probably did. And uh, Was that John Martis's testimonial? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And uh, he scored the goal after about 20 minutes and then waved to everybody and ran off. He had had enough. <laughs> ah, uh, uh, Jim Baxter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim Baxter. I um, uh, played against him. I was directly against him. And That'd have been so, fun. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> He could play. Because, uh, I mean, you played in what was a, a golden era of Scottish football. Like, in the late 60s, early 70s, even into the late 70s. The, uh, I don't know how we didn't... Scotland as a World Cup team, I don't know how we didn't do better in the 74 and 78 World Cup because the players that were around at that time were just immense. Aye. Terrific. I'm trying to think of anybody else. Never get the chance to come up against Dalgleish. Yes, aye. Yeah, Douglas, Sunas. Uh, Douglas was, uh, he wasn't razor sharp speed wise. He was fast enough, but no razor sharp. But his brain was razor sharp. And he could see things, he could read the game. Imagine taking Kevin Keegan's place and being, yeah. success, being successful. Yeah, that was some team they had back then. I mean, just listening to your stories, Davey, I, I, I mean, I'm sure Lee feels the same. He never obviously saw you play or grow up in that era. That I, I always look at, like, I'm a, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and I always think your first Doctor that you see is your Doctor Who, which for me was John Pertwee. And for, for me, my first East Fife manager, my first team was your team. So to me, you're always like my East Fife manager. And it's like... I'd, it's just been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today, Davey. D- do you ever get down to, to Bayview anymore? Yeah, yeah, or... I come down occasionally. Occasionally, uh, I was going down, um, I'm only talking about maybe a couple of games in a season, but I've, I'd stayed away for years and years and years and years, longer than what I should have, actually. I should have just went in and seen, seen some of the people. Well, once all this... I'm just dropping this on Lee, but once all this gets over and it's like we can get back meeting up with people, we'd love to take you to a hospitality day at the stadium and just thank you so much for doing this and just all the things that you've got in the club. We'd, we'd really like to do that. I was very nervous at the beginning, but you've made me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the names that get banded about and we've, we've had some sort of modern day and we could say legends in terms of my eyes, but you know, when I told my dad that, that you were coming on, I said to you at the start of the show, my dad was like, oh, I love Davy Clark. And you know, it, it, for that generation, uh, the listeners that we've got, this will be everything that they've been wanting to hear and more. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, David. I, I had my top three people and it was like yourself, Willie Brown, Stevie Archibald. So now we've got two of the three. It's like, I'm, I'm happy if we don't do any more interviews after this. It's like, it's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I know that was a long chat for you. I know it's late there. Thank you so much to your daughter as well. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully see you baby soon. Great, pal. Thank you.
Thanks so much, Davey. Davy Clark there. It was an absolute pleasure to sit down and have a, a chat with Davy about his career at East Fife as a player, as a manager. Fascinating stories. I know a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, they'll never have seen him play. They'll never have seen the, the teams that he managed with East Fife play either. And some of the names that we were talking about there are probably just names you've read about in the programme, online, whatever, seen them in the all-time greats and, and mentions and, and stuff like that. So hopefully you enjoyed it and you, you got a lot out of it. I know for people of my era, that is just going to have been an absolutely fantastically enjoyable interview. And there's a lot of stuff to unpack from it as well. And I, th- I think the the biggest thing is the the real reason as to why he did leave Bayview, leave East Fife and go and join Falkirk. As I mentioned there at the time, as I've talked about in the show before, when it happened, it came as something of a bolt out of the blue. You were just like in shock. And it was the days before the internet, so you were just reading about it in the paper. And it's like, I can't believe that this guy that has given 20 years of his life to East Five Football Club, has now just left us towards the end of the season. And now, I mean, it, it makes sense. He he just felt that his position there was going to become untenable because of what was happening at board level. And I, I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they're going to be really sad and disappointed to hear that that's been the reason that, that basically forced him out. Because after Davey went, that was the end of the good times, really, until Steve Archibald took over and then we had a, a brief renaissance under him. But, I mean, it was horrible football for about a 10-year period once Clarkie left and Gavin Murray was there. And it it's, it took us a while to, to really re- recover. And as I said during the interview, I don't blame Davy at all for that because when you're a boss, if a team at a higher level comes in, you, you've got to go for it. But he didn't want to leave. That's what makes it even sadder. He wanted to stay, but it's just things that were happening did did not make that possible. It was also interesting for for me to hear like how much he rated Gavin Murray as a player. He he, he was a good striker. He he did well for us as a striker. His career was cut short with the, the leg break, and then he became manager of his Fife, and he wasn't cut out to be a manager. Willie Brown talked about that in a previous show as well, and just. Really, really sad how all that played out. But the, the names that he was mentioning from from his era there, speaking so highly of, of Gordon Jury, the best player that he's ever played with, the best player that he's ever managed. And I was lucky enough to start watching East Fife when Jury was just coming into his own. And yeah, what what a player he, he was as a young lad. You could tell that he had what it took to, to go on into the game. Jim McLaren as well that he mentioned there. Now Jim is still in my all-time East Fife 11 for players that I've seen. Ranked 6th in the East Fife all-time appearances with 346 appearances. And when you hear how he nearly did not join the club for getting his contact lenses, playing terribly, getting given a second chance that Clarkie had to get talked into. I talked about it's a case of what-ifs 
like what if had his five gone up that that season when they were pushing? What if Jim McLaren had had never got that second chance? Where would he have ended up? And look what East Fife would have been missing during that time. Football's just wonderful for for stories like that. And like going back to the seventies, that promotion winning team, the Pat Quinn team, just it was great to hear Davy speak so fondly of his time at East Fife. I hope he becomes a, a more frequent visitor in, in seasons to come. Let us know what you thought of the, the interview as well. If you enjoyed it, what you took from it, let us know on Twitter at Glory Days of Gold. Send us an email at glorydaysofgold at gmail.com. Also, when you're hearing David talking about how Jim Baxter had his fingers burnt, he felt, in the early 70s with investing in the club, not getting the results, and then for him... That was the end of the investment. And it, it told, you saw that on the pitch for years to come. I dug out the other day, I've got a, a chat I had with Jim Baxter at one of the old Leavenmouth East Fife Supporters Club meetings way, way back in the day. It's on cassette. I'm going to try and get that put into kind of MP3 format. And, and one of the shows maybe where we've got a quiet week or we don't have an interview or something like that, I'll... I'll bring you some of these old ones because I found a couple of others as well. Jimmy Bone, Gavin Murray, uh, Ken Steed, if anyone remembers him as well. So I've got some of those to come. Also, talked about Willie Johnston there. I have had the pleasure of chatting to Willie Johnston twice on his visits to Vancouver when he's come back to the city, where, as I mentioned, he's a bit of a cult figure here. So again, on, on some of the future episodes of Glory Days of Gold, I will dig those interviews out for you where he's talking about Scotland, Scottish football, a little bit chatting about his time at East Fife as well. If you don't want to wait until then, if you just Google the AFTN Soccer Show, that's my Canadian show, and type in Willie Johnston as well, you'll you'll find the, the episodes that we've had Willie on. But I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely want to do more interviews with some of these older guys. And as we've said in previous shows, if anyone's got contacts with guys in the 70s, the 60s, the 80s team as well would really love to to speak to Gordon Marshall that would be another one now going to obviously have to revisit my top three players and managers that we can get interviewed on the show ticked two of my top three boxes there with Davy Clark there and Willie Brown just need to get Steve Archibald and I'm going to draw up a, a new top three as well but talking of Willie Brown we had him a couple of episodes ago that one went down very well and of course, the burning question that everyone had at the end of that episode was, would Willie Brown fancy a chocolate digestive? Well, let's find out. So, Willie, if you're sitting at home and you decide to have a hot beverage, do you go for a tea or a coffee? Me, yeah, all day long. And, uh, do you have a sweet tooth? Are you a biscuit fan? I used to be, I've lost three stones, so no now. Oh, well back in the day then, what was your biscuit of choice? Oh, my, my favourite biscuit would have been uh, chocolate digestives. Oh, superb. <laughs> That's the name of our section. I oh, The fact you've picked that, you've just like made my day before we even get into the interview. <laughs> chocolate digestives. The only thing is, Michael, I couldn't have put a packet down. Two cups of tea and the biscuits were gone. <laughs> I sadly I know that feeling as my dentist will testify. But <laughs> so yeah, when you were having your digesters back in the day, were you a dunker? Not with a chocolate, with a plain one, yes. That makes good sense. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? 
Well, what can I say? Not only was Willie Brown my favourite East Fife player before interviewing him, before doing that section with him, to find out that Willie Brown, God himself, likes chocolate digestives. I think I can stop doing this show now. Very happy. A little bit surprised. I thought he might have gone for something like the ginger nut because that is obviously the the hard man of the biscuit world, but take chocolate digestives every day of the week. So we've not got too much to, to go on this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold. I'll save most of the mailbag for when Lee is back with me next week, but I do want to, to plug one of the sections that we're looking for contributions to, and we've had a couple of contributions so far, and that is who would be on an East Fife Mount Rushmore. Now, if you missed last week's show, what we're looking for is if you picture Mount Rushmore in the US that has the heads of four of the presidents of the USA, we were looking for an East Fife Mount Rushmore. Now, we thought not on the managerial side because that's probably going to be taken care of with Davy Clark, Scott Simon, Gary Naismith and Dave Bakey. Might be wrong there, but I think that would be the, the big four on the managerial side. So we're looking for your suggestions of who would go on an East Fife player, Mount Rushmore. So Scott, at Kestrel Scott on Twitter, he said his Mount Rushmore would be Henry Morris, Gordon Jury, Shagger, Paul McManus himself, and God, Willie Brown. Now, that is a hard Mount Rushmore to argue with. That's a fantastic one, in my opinion. Henry Morris, Gordon Jury, definitely two guys that I feel you... You've got to look at in, in consideration for there. Jury, especially for what he went on to achieve. Henry Morris, though, for what he achieved at East Fife, representing Scotland, winning trophies with the club. For me, he's a definite one of the four for Mount Rushmore. Not sure if we're going to have to end up doing what we did with the AFTN all-time greats as well and do pre-70 and post-70 Mount Rushmore. Made this way more complicated for myself than I hoped for, but we'll, we'll see how we go with this. And the other suggestion that we had was from Peter at East Five Four, who said his Mount Rushmore would be Geordie Dewar, Davy Clark, John Martis, and Pat Quinn. So obviously an older gentleman there, because he's gone for players from the 70s era, and four fantastic players as well. Because as I mentioned about having Davy Clark on the manager's Mount Rushmore, all-time leading appearance player, definitely up there as well for, for being on the player's Mount Rushmore. I've given mine a little bit of thought, so I'll, I'll maybe just share that with you guys just now. And I think I'm going to go with Henry Morris. I am going to go with Davy Clark. I think Sammy Stewart as well. Second all-time leading appearances for, for East Fife at 527. Played with East Fife in that golden era from 1946 to 1961. A one-club man like Davy Clark, and I love that in a player. Such a rarity these days. Won three Scottish League Cups with the, the team and then the second division championship as well. So he's on there for me. And then I've gone sort of back and forth on who I think my fourth player would be. I thought Cannonball Fleming at one point, Charlie Fleming. 
But I'm going to settle with the man that scored the hat-trick in the 1947 League Cup final, the 4-1 win against Falkirk, Davy Duncan. Club legend, 259 appearances with the club that puts him 14th overall in all-time appearances. Capped by Scotland, won the three League Cups with it with his Fife as well. What a quartet that would be. But let us know your Mount Rushmore nominations as well, either on Twitter at Glory Days of Gold, by email at glorydaysofgold at gmail.com, or you can get me personally on email at aftncanada at hotmail.com. Or you can also get hold of me by email at aftn at hotmail.co.uk. We'll bring you more mailbag stuff next week. We're still looking for your all-time 11, so get those coming in. Your away day memories as well. Let us know some of those. We want a lot more, especially any wild tales from the 70s and 80s. Didn't get too many nominations for who your favourite Scottish hard man was in, in the Scottish game, so we'd still like some more of that. And I'm going to throw a new one out to you this week as well. David Clark there was rattling through a lot of the players that he's played against. We're talking about Kenny Dalgleish. Now, for me, I think Kenny Dalgleish is the best Scottish player of all time. Others might say Dennis Law. Who do you feel, as a Scottish player, is the greatest Scottish footballer of all time? Again, get your nominations into us and we'll, we'll bring you some of those in next week's mailbag. But before we wrap up tonight's show, there's still time for this week's Wavelength. Now, if you're a new listener to the show, and I'm pretty sure we'll have a a few new ones tonight because we had Davy Clark on, Wavelength is a part of the show where we bring you a song all about football. Could be by a band, could be by a footballer himself, could be by a football team. We've been focusing mostly on bands so far, and if anyone doesn't know, this month, September, it's Football Violence Awareness Month here at Glory Days of Gold and at AFTN. We're paying homage to football hooligans around the world with some songs all about football hooligans and football violence. And we had Davy Clark on, who's got his Falkirk connections there. So I saved this one for this week. It's from 1985 originally. It was a seven-inch single by a Falkirk band called Skin Deep. You can also find it on the 1995 album Oi Rarities Volume 3. It's a song that's been covered by a few bands over the years as well, but this is the original, and it's simply called Football Violence. Time. 
Football violence, it happens every week. You go to the game and lose, and then you get angry. Think we can all attest to that one? From 1985 there, Falkirk band Skin Deep with a song called Football Violence. The cover of the original 7-inch single is kind of iconic in that kind of musical genre. It features, and I'm wearing the t-shirt off it just now, which does not help everyone, because obviously this is a podcast, but it features a couple of guys getting arrested by the polis outside Brockville and getting led away in handcuffs. I'm sure there was quite a few battles between East Fife fans and Falkirk fans at Brockville and Bayview over the years. If you've got any good stories about that, send them along. Always love to hear those. But that is it for this week's show. Just before we go, there's time to thank this week's sponsors once again. And they are Hendry Ireland, John Scott Neal, James Smale and Tony Charletta. Thanks one and all. Thanks to everyone as well who bought the new limited run of Glory Days of Gold face masks. They proved very, very popular and if anyone is interested in getting more or more t-shirts, let Lee know. Send him a message at Glory Days of Gold on Twitter or an email at glorydaysagold at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do for you. We need a minimum number of orders to get those done, but the first ones flew off the shelf, so we'll see what we can do. Lee will be back on next week's show after his little week away. You can give him a follow on Twitter at LeeG1903. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada and at AFTN website. Don't forget to check out AFTN, away from the numbers, aftn.co.uk for all your East Fife stuff. And if you've got an interest in North American soccer, Major League Soccer, Vancouver Whitecaps, the Canadian Premier League, all that and a lot more, check out our Canadian site, aftn.ca. You can also check out the AFTN Soccer Show podcast and you'll find the links to that on the website as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, at Glory Days of Gold. And also our Instagram at Glory Days of Gold. And you can find AFTN's YouTube channels at AFTN website and at AFTN Canada. I think that's all the plug-in we'll do for this episode. I'm Michael McCall. We'll be back next week with another fun interview and a lot more East Fife and Scottish football chat. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care, stay safe and mon the Fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>